Hello and welcome to episode 38 of NPS We Trust, a PlayStation podcast. My name's Davey and joined with me, as always, is Phil. Happy Monday, lads. And Spencer. Yes, boys, glad to be back. I tell you what, guys, it is nice to see both of you because we are recording extremely late for the podcast. We are recording on Monday the 14th and normally we record on a Friday. And the reason for that is because, Spence, last episode you had to go off early because you, you, we thought you'd died. Yeah, we'll be honest, we'd already got a couple of replacements in line. And if you would, couldn't have made it today, then all we would have done really is just go down to your grave, taking a selfie like this. Like for an updoosis, right? And then poured a thing of Budweiser down, maybe smashed it on top of there. On top of there, I think you'd appreciate that. A good bottle in, a good would, Newport yeah. bottle in. I thought, I thought you might like that. And then probably just called in Potato Chief, and it would just be business as normal. But I, I'm glad that you're alive. So that's always good. You know, we didn't have to go through all that hassle, did we, Phil? It would have been a seamless integration. You know, bringing Potato Chief in, he's already up to speed with how the show works. So yeah, it would have been very painless. I'm not even sure the uh, viewers would have even noticed. Oh, I'm glad it would have been easy for you boys. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Well, to, to be fair, I'm glad that you're alive first and foremost. Welcome back, Spence. It is lovely to have you back here. It's just good to be together, guys, because Phil, you nearly died this past weekend, didn't you? Yeah, it's been awful, right? I caught this thing called COVID. It's, it's gone out of the news. I haven't heard about it in a while. I thought it all disappeared. Obviously, after my trip to Liverpool, I must have come across the virus somewhere. And uh, yeah, I caught the COVID. Yeah, that sucks. So we are late going up, but what an exciting episode we've got for you today because we are joined by special guest Jason Bradbury. That's right. The TV gadget guy himself is joining us to discuss the future of VR, and that is coming up in the show. But we got a lot to get to before that. So guys, I want to know, we're recording on a Monday. It is a classic school night. In fact, the most important school nights is the one that sets off the tone for the rest of the week. What are you drinking today? Spence, tradition states, we start with you. Right, well, it's funny you said tradition then, because I have my own little tradition for the podcast, don't I? Of course, I'm drinking a Budweiser. I say a Budweiser, several. Welcome back, Spence. It's good to have you back, mate. Yes, boys. So are you not working tomorrow or are you just thinking, do you know what, Budweiser is just too good. This new lease of life that you've got, you're going to seize every moment and just maybe become an alcoholic now. I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I do have work tomorrow, yes. But I've not had a Bev in a hot minute. The Budweiser's been by my desk just kind of calling me at night being like, Spence, we're so tasty. And then, you know, it was a podcast. Got to have a beverage. Do you know what I always think, right, that with alcoholism, I don't really mean to downplay the effects that alcoholism can have, but you know, there's one thing is for sure, you might have a short life, but you're going to burn bright, aren't you? Those like 20 years that you've got left of that liver are going to be a good time for you, you know, horrible for your family, but for you, you'll, you'll probably have a good time, and I mean, special brew is cheap these days, so why not, mate? Go for it. Enjoy yourself. Here for a good time, not a long time. Damn right, boys. What about yourself, Phil? What are you on today? You can probably tell, and I think the listeners uh, can tell already, that I'm, I'm still not over COVID. My voice is a little bit raspy. I coined that phrase quite a few episodes ago when I, when I commented on your voice after an illness, Davey. I think it's, it's, it's still got a raspy tone to it. So I've chosen a nice cup of tea today and a big glass of water just to keep my liquids up. I'm not going on any of the hard stuff tonight. So even if I do say the dreaded words, I might have to delay those shots to the next week, if that's all right with you lads. 
I'll let it slide. Are you you all right with that, Spence? Just this one time. If you say it twice, it's over. Cheers, lads. I appreciate it. Well, guys, I, I'm on something I haven't had on the podcast before. I'm on Monster. I'm just on a nice classic can of Ultra Paradise. And i got to say, it is a paradise. But guys, that's it. Not very exciting today, I'm afraid. No crazy stories, no feeling of cans, nothing of that. Let's move it on, shall we? This time on NPS We Trust, what have the boys been playing? Okay, guys, so it's been two weeks since the last podcast episode, and I'm desperate to know what you've been doing with all your free time while you've been lying in bed feeling sorry for yourselves. Spencer, why don't we start with you? Right, well, as much as I have been ill, and also a nod back to last episode, because obviously I listened to it, seeing as I wasn't a part of it, I noticed you saying, you checked as well towards the end, if you saw me online playing Elden Ring, you'd, I'd be done, I'd be cancelled. And let me just say, appear offline is busted, boys. <laughs> I'll also say I didn't actually play Elden Ring. In fact, these last two weeks, I've maybe played three hours of Elden Ring, and that is it. I've been mega busy. My girlfriend's been down, so I haven't been able to. And she does the thing of saying, oh, I can sit with you and watch you play. But it's bullshit because you boot up the game and then she's trying to talk to you the whole time being like why aren't you paying attention to me i'm like bitch you fucking serious you told me the boot of the game so i i've i've made very little progress but i did overcome a big challenge that i kind of was facing in the game that i can't talk about because it's major spoilers but i popped off when i did it it was nuclear so you're still finding the challenge to be quite high then on this one for me, it has been mostly because one of the upgrade materials in this game is a somber smithing stone, which is what my weapon uses. And I had the somber smithing stone eight, nine, the next one up from that, which is a different stone, but I couldn't find the fucking number seven. So I've had a weaker sword than I should this whole time. So my damage is a bleed build. So my damage is still fine if I can get the hits in, but I couldn't. So it was a lot of, a lot of effort. I found the stone today in my one hour progress, so now I have a plus nine buzzing doing that. 357 plus 128. Ooh, baby. And bleed on top. Oh my god. But yeah, I've, the game's still 100% the hardest FromSoft game, in my opinion. And I don't see that changing at all, especially with what our friend uh, of the show, Willard, has been saying to me because we talk in DMs all the time about Elden Ring. He said it just gets harder and harder because he's ahead of me in the game now because I've had so little time. And I am not looking, well, I am looking forward to it, but I'm not. You know what I mean? It's the thing of, I know it's going to be hard, but I'm going to fucking love overcoming it. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? It's that apprehension that it's quite nice to be tested every once in a while, isn't it? You know, especially of gamers of our skill. We're so used to being on the top of that mountain that when you get brought right back down to reality, it's quite a nice feeling. And Sifu gave it, but not to the same extent as this, because yes, listener, I have started Elden Ring. So I'm about seven hours in, so I'm very, very early stages. And so any of my opinions here are from a scrub. I'll put that out there right now. I do not have the hours in here to really be giving a sweeping statement about how this game ranks or kind of anything like that. Because I'm going to tell you my experience. I'm going to tell you what's happened to me so far. So I start the game up and on Twitter, all I'm getting is different people reach out to me and say, Davey now you're finally done with the other game you've been playing 
when you start Elden Ring, you've got to play as the wretch. Because if you play as the wretch, you come in with nothing, but it's a blank slate. So you can just really just do whatever you want. And I thought, oh, that actually sounds quite cool. Sounds like a nice little challenge. You know, a wretch, basically, you come in with no armor, come in with nothing. You've got base stats, so you're pretty much at, you're at 10 for everything. And you've got a club, and that's it. Whereas the other classes in the game that you pick, they're more specialized. They have already, like, big beefy shields, or they have armor. They have actual weapons that aren't just a stick that you can bonk people with. You know, you've actually got something that you can do some damage with. For me, I didn't. I started the game off, and I remember thinking, oh, this would be fine. You know, I'm a vet. I'm a seasoned vet when it comes to Dark Souls games. I've got three of them platinumed. I can go into this no problem at all. Seven hours, I've done basically nothing. I've killed one boss. I went to one area called Castle Morn, which is a really early part of the game. Did all that. And I felt like a god after I'd done that. Come out, I find this nice little ruin, right? I've got a lot of souls on me now for this point. And there's, the souls in this are called runes. And you use them to be able to upgrade your character to be able to then put extra stats in health or to be able to put them in, you know, uh, strengths. So you can have different weapons and, and things like that. And at the lower levels, like a thousand runes is a lot to me because I'll be able to level up like two levels from that. I had 3,000 runes on me and I'd just done this little, this little area, feeling really good about myself, really positive. There's a chest and I go to the chest and I think, yay, a nice chest. Opened it up, it warps me to the other side of the fucking map and I'm in this crystal cave and everything there is one shot in me absolutely one shot at me and i think what the fuck what is going on and i think right well just get good i'm in this cave i've got my three thousand souls doesn't matter i can just go and grab them immediately lose them don't i immediately lose them so then i'm thinking right well i know the way out of this cave but i'm not leaving this cave with less than three thousand souls because that's what i came in here with so i stayed in that cave for four hours constantly getting my souls back and then losing them getting them back losing them getting them back losing them and then i was in there for so long i forgot where the exit was and i ended up finding the boss and so i walked into the boss fight and lost all my souls and now i cannot go back in there because they're in the boss fight so i wasted four hours of an entire night in this fucking crystal cave all because i was too stubborn just to walk out the door god damn it i loved it I loved it, but I was so pissed off. Bro, let me say before you carry on, it now takes 50,000 runes for me to level. So 3,000 to me is pennies, bro. And also, when I was low level start of the game, the exact same shit happened to me, bro. The exact same chest, <laughs> the exact same crystal cave. You start in this little barn inside the cave, then you, you got to run out. Oh my. I didn't do what you did. I wasn't that silly. I'm thinking I'm going to get my souls back. So I knew I'll make them up in anywhere else. <laughs> Go back to where I've been. I'm not going to stay in this high level place with these things that one shot me and I do 20 damage to them when I have 800 <laughs> health. That is insane. I don't know what possessed you being a veteran of the series, quote unquote, to do that. I see a chance I don't quit. I don't quit until it got to the point where it was actually, I had to really question my sanity, you know? And, and then I left that area. But since leaving that area, what you've said uh, on the previous podcast in terms of this kind of sense of wonder that you get kind of exploring the world and seeing things is so true. 
going to something and seeing like some cool little like castle. Like when I found Castle Morn, it, it was just, I saw this castle and I thought, oh, that's cool. I'll go check that out. And then the whole way there, you're fighting different enemies. You're kind of experiencing different things, different mobs. It all feels really varied, this world, from what I've seen so far in only seven hours, four of which spent in a fucking cave. It seems really varied. The enemies are cool. And I like the jump mechanic. I think the jumping and the heavy attacks that come with that are really cool. The only issue I've got, and this is a proper scrub thing, so this will definitely be changed. I hate the fact that I go to read a bit of text or whatever. Always get it confused. I'm always do it, pressing the wrong thing. And the Estus button is square, right? Like all Souls games are. Crouching in Horizon is square. I keep accidentally drinking my Estus all the goddamn time. I'm literally going into entire areas with no Estus because I've just accidentally drunk three Estus in a row. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. And, and that's what happens when you played 60-odd hours of, of Horizon, which I'll come on to very quickly. But yes, I, I think it's really good. Um, really enjoying my time with it. And I'm really looking forward to really unpacking this on the next episode, where I'll probably be about 50-odd hours in, I imagine. But Spence, before we move it on to Horizon which Phil's been playing, I want to kind of pose something to you that's been running through my mind with Elden Ring since I started it. I want to see if you think I'm bang on with this. This game is Dark Souls 2, but with good bosses. That is what I'm thinking about this so far. It seems, it seems like as if the game goes out of its way to fuck you for a bit of a laugh, but it's got the boss design there to really back it up. And that's how I'm feeling about eight hours in. I disagree because I see the similarities you make and I see the comparisons. However, this game doesn't fuck you the same way Dark Souls 2 does. This game doesn't have doors leading into endless pits or whatever the fuck else Dark Souls 2 has. All of it's a nightmare, I don't know. Elden Ring kind of has, it gives you areas early on that you physically can't beat and gives you loads of bullshit you do have to deal with. But it's a learning experience, whereas Dark Souls 2 isn't a learning experience. It's like, oh, fuck you. So I, I, see, I see the similarity, but it is different. Fair enough. Okay, well, maybe my, uh, maybe my opinion will change uh, when I get a couple of weeks into this game and really start kind of unpacking some of the meat. Has your opinion changed in terms of a, a rating on Elden Ring from last time? Last time you gave it a 9 out of 10, if I remember rightly. I'll tell you what, I actually started souring on it a little bit. But I think that was mainly due to me not playing it as much as I wanted to. It was me just not being able to experience the game. And whenever I did have free time, it wasn't the first thing on my mind of, oh my god, I want to play Elden Ring. But then every time I do boot the game up, I'm like, yes, it's time. Finally dive in. So I, I, I soured on it a bit. I thought maybe it's not a 9. But then as soon as I start playing it again, I'm like, yeah, it's definitely a 9. What am I thinking? I think at the moment I'd still leave it as a 9. It might be going up after the last few things I've done because they are insane, the stuff that happens later on in the game. But at the minute, I think I'll just leave it at a 9 and I'll give my next rating when I've beaten it. Okay, fair enough. I'm too early to give a rating, so I'm not going to bother to give one at this stage. But in two weeks' time, I should have enough of an opinion there to be able to speak with a bit of certainty about how I'm feeling about the experience so far. But Phil, I want to come across to you because you and me have predominantly for the last two weeks been playing a little game called Horizon Forbidden West. And last time on the podcast, you were about seven or eight hours in, I think, 
Uh, you were still in, in chain scrape at the time. How have you moved on from that point and how are you finding the game? Because if I remember rightly, I think you rated it a seven. Yeah, I rated it a seven because I was very early days, wasn't I, with the game. I didn't really, I hadn't really experienced much within the game, but uh, I've played a fair few hours now. I've clocked in 44 hours played within the game. So uh, I've put some time, I've put some effort in for you guys, for the listeners, for the viewers. And the story's moved on quite considerably. Uh, I've established a base with uh, Gaia and collected the three subordinate functions. Of course, we know these functions because they were mentioned in the previous game, so there's no spoilers here. I've collected Ether, responsible for detoxifying the atmosphere, Poseidon in charge of reconstituting the ocean and uh, marine life, and Demia, tasked with reintroducing all forms of plant life to the system. So I'm probably, I would say, quite far into the story now because there's sort of one big overarching task left to do. Um, which I won't go into because I think that reveals too much of the story, really. But yeah, there is just so much to do within this game. You know, not to mention going through the tall necks, the cauldrons, the rebel camps, all the stuff that you remember from the previous game. It's all these, but just much, much more. You've got melee pits, you've got the hunting grounds, and the list just goes on and on with this game. So that's primarily what I've been spending my time with this game, really. I've, I've got so far in the story, but a lot of it has been sort of the side quests, the side missions, and all the extra things that goes to sort of boosting your character's level and and sort of collecting equipment which you'll need some of the bad guys have kicked my ass i'm not gonna lie you know me i'm not a souls player so when it comes to big bosses they tend to they tend to hurt me they tend to hurt me real bad and the one that's been kicking my ass or the one i've struggled with the most is the rock breakers they're a returning enemy from the original but my god that fight I, I think I did about five or six times. And that's quite a lot for a Horizon game, I feel. Because a lot of them I was going through and sort of completing on my first run. How are you finding, and I suppose this will probably play into if you found this fight difficult or not with the Rockbreaker, your kind of style of play with this, how are you going about it? Are you very much going down like one kind of skill tree or are you kind of picking and choosing different things? Because in the first one, I was very much a case of my traps and my... Uh, trip wires and my rope caster and things like that and I found this game I took things on very differently from that how, how are you kind of confronting these challenges at the moment generally I'll, I'll obviously do the scan uh, see what the weakness is find out the point because you can highlight the certain points uh, of weakness on the enemy and sort of target that with the most effective weapon but I think I must have approached that boss when I was too low a level because it was very, very difficult, even knowing the weaknesses of these monsters and sort of targeting them, as, I, as I've said. The only way I found to beat this monster was to use the scenery to my advantage. So there was kind of like either a big tree or a big rock um, within the center of this sort of boss fight. And I basically kited him around this as he was jumping up and trying to flop onto me. So for those who haven't played the original Horizon or ventured this far into the game, um, the Rock Breakers, they're, they're kind of giant badgers or moles. They look quite ridiculous and they come out of the ground and basically just try and flop on top of you at certain points within the fight. And other points, they'll come up and spit fire over you. So yeah, it's quite an interesting fight. Yeah, I, I remember my first fight with them uh, and it was actually, it was on the back of a like a bug really. I, I remember I was fighting a, a Thunderjaw and it was way high level for me. I was like a level 20 and it was like a level 48, I think. It was like an Apex Thunderjaw. I thought, ooh, I can't resist fighting one though. They're so cool. They're like my favorite enemy. And I was like, I can't, can't wait to fight one. So I thought I'll give it a go. And he literally 
ran at me and swung his tail around so far that I ragdolled into the upper atmosphere. Right, I, I, literally, I literally was gone. And then when I respawned, he must have hit me so far that I respawned where the rock breaker is, which is like the other side of the map. And so I literally spawned back in there and I was like, what the hell? And I spawned right next to a rebel camp. So I took that out, so I had a, a safe point. And then I, I was just running through the desert. I was like, la, 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 la. And this rock breaker just comes out of nowhere. And it's, like you were saying, way high level for me. But the only reason I took it down was I just used traps. So I had all these explosive traps. So when he came out, he'd hit all these explosive traps and blow all his arms off. And then at that point, he couldn't dig anymore. So then it was just a straight up fight then. And uh, and then it was fine. It wasn't too much of a problem. I just called my mount and just got on horseback and started, you know, running around him, shooting him. And it wasn't too bad. But I think if I didn't have traps or if I hadn't leveled up my trap skills then that would have been a fucking nightmare. So I was glad, really, that, that that it worked out that way for me. In terms of the activities that you've mentioned there, how do you feel about the difference that side quests and activities have been done in this game as opposed to the original Horizon? I think they're very similar, but they've all got improvements. And it definitely relates to, to what I said within my first seven or eight hours. It's all down to the visuals. So when you go to a cauldron, it's special. There is so much to see within those certain sections of the game, and they are jaw-dropping. Especially when you go underground, and you go in underground again, and you go in underground again into kind of like this very futuristic, kind of bunker-esque setting, and you're taking on monsters that you've never, probably never seen before um, during the end, because there's always, there's always a boss fight at the end of these cauldrons. They're, they're a spectacle. They very much are. It's, I think it's gone from kind of a side quest, which maybe are a bit throwaway in the original game, to this where they're actually an intensive kind of situation which you should take in and, and, and really revel in, really take your time and enjoy. Yeah, I, I totally second that notion. For me, the cauldrons are my favourite part of the game, which definitely was not the case in the original. I think it's so varied. I, I think the platforming is so good. The puzzle solving that you've got to do in those individual cauldrons is great. And they all feel really distinct from each other. Whereas in the first game, it was very much a case of, okay, you might fight different enemies, but it's very much a case of follow this path, sneak up on these guys, you know, chuck your, chuck your spear in to override this and fight a boss at the end. And that was it. Whereas in this, they're, they're totally different locations, even though they kind of look similar. So you might have one that's completely submerged underwater and that opens up all different puzzles. Or you might have one where it's all based around getting one enemy or one machine back into the world and how you go about fixing that machine. And, and there's so many just highlights that come from just going into these cauldrons and not knowing what to expect. And I think that kind of same design philosophy translates to the entire game, to be honest, because any side quest I did throughout my time playing the game, I didn't ever get the experience that I thought I might get. I always thought it might be like a very much a case of go here, kill three of these things and go. And that's what the original game was very much like. You know, kill a pack of these guys, get this part, go. And the game starts off like that in Chainscrape. But the more you get into it, the more depth these side quests seem to have and the more character driven they are. And I found that each one's just really meaningful. And what I also found was really insane about this game, that something The Witcher did really well as well. But I really noticed it here was there'll be a quest that will say, for example, you might be following somebody who needs to go rescue their son who's been held at this bandit camp. But say you've already beaten that bandit camp before, 
you'll go up and meet this person and they'll and they'll say to you you got to help my son he's trapped at this outpost and she'll say oh i've already beaten that outpost it's already done and she'd be like oh did you see him there and it would go off in a totally different conversation and it would change the quest to to be able to make it fit in with what you've done there so cool it just makes it feel really lifelike as opposed to being something that you go back there and all of a sudden everyone's respawned, you know, and you're doing it again. It's really cool. It's just like a nice little touch that Gorilla have done to really make the world feel alive. And for me, it really works. I agree like 100% with what you're saying. You know, everything that you do within Horizon, even down to the, the smallest, go and deliver a certain package. There's so much meaning connected to it. Just to go back to what you were saying about the the puzzles my god it's like crystal maze it's on a whole new level there's so much depth to what you're trying to figure out and the meaning behind it yeah it's groundbreaking honestly the the game is is so much better there's a mark improvement on every aspect of this game when it comes to the weapons i'm not sure there's so much of an improvement because one of my favorite weapons seems to be nerfed which was your favorite weapon? I'm going to go down the rope caster. I know it's a really basic weapon in the original. So the way you use the rope caster in the original game was to, to tie the monsters down. In this one, you use the rope caster to attach things to, and they blow up. It seems to be a complete nerf. You can do. You can just use it as a base rope caster, though. So there's the, the first rope caster you get. It's only like a, a green, so it's like a really common one. But that is the same rope caster as the one before. See, I must have missed this out then. Yeah. Because the one I've got attaches kind of vials to them. Yeah, so you got the elemental one. That's the one. It's it they're, they're slightly different takes on the same weapon. So the way the weapons seem to work in Horizon is that you'll get the same kind of base weapon. So you might get like a hunter's bow, for example, which may just have like arrows and then like advanced hunter arrows, which do like more tear damage, uh, which is what takes enemy parts off them to be able to weaken them or to be able to really start doing some damage to them to remove their armor. But even though they may only be that that one type of hunting bow, for example, you can then have different ones that all have different ammunition and different kind of tools, and then they serve a very different purpose. So you may have your one, which is just for base damage, and then you may have another hunting bow, which is for adding elemental effects. Same thing with the rope caster. So you've got your base rope caster, and then you've got an elemental one, which is for, for using the same kind of tools as a rope caster, but adding that elemental damage to it. Yeah, they, they don't seem to be so frequent as they did in the original game because I've only come across it now at 44 hours in. It wasn't given to me like the original one. No, th that's the one That's the one weapon I, I can completely agree with you on. It's the one weapon that for me just seemed to, to go out of relevance the quickest out of everything. I, I found that I had a use for the new Bolt Blaster gun, which I talked about on the last, last podcast episode, and uh, there's also this other weapon, which is like a stake driver. It's like this giant stake that you just impale into an enemy. And using your different weapon points, you can then choose to use it as like a, as like a trap. So you can kind of use it as mines or you can use it so it splits off into multiple darts to really do some damage over like a big area. And I find that those have a lot of versatility, whereas like the Ropecaster just seemed to really just be so such a basic weapon that it, it didn't serve the same purpose that I really loved in the original so I, I completely agree with you on that one I, I used to love that weapon in the original tying down a storm bird or something and setting up traps all around it and I, I really didn't even use it in the original game it was always like my first thing I well maybe after the traps I would set a couple of traps and then you'd rope caster down 
the mob you're trying to fight. Now it seems in every fight I go into, I place a couple of traps and then the mobs just immediately want to jump on top of me. Regardless of which mob it is, they'll always want to jump on top of you. And the dodge mechanic, they seem to wait for you to dodge. You dodge and then they jump on you. They've all, they're one step ahead of me, a lot of these, honestly. You're, you're getting really far into the game. And I suppose I should say at this point, for clarity's sake, I have platinumed Horizon. It took me 65, just shy of 66 hours to get the platinum. I loved every single minute of it. I absolutely adored it. I'll get onto my rating in a moment, but I do have some complaints with this game. But before I get into mine and some, some critiques that I think they should really work on for the next game, do you have anything, Phil, that you're finding that is either not quite there or that they could improve on for the, for the following game? I think my only complaint for the game so far is more of a, a technical kind of complaint with the game. And it all surrounds um, the ability to save while you're streaming. So I've been doing a lot of, uh, you know, just, just share to Twitch um, while I've been doing my playthroughs. And every time you go to a camp and you do a quick save, it logs you out of Twitch. Well, it doesn't log you out of Twitch. It just stops the recording. So then you've got to go back to record again after you save. And if you are a frequent saver like myself, because of these bloody rock breakers, I need to save all the time, right? It's an annoyance. So that's something that they can improve on. And I don't know if any of our listeners are experiencing the same bugs that I am with this, um, but it definitely takes me out of the game where I'm like, oh no, now I've got to put streaming back on and if, you know, I do have a couple of people watching me from time to time, and it must be an annoyance for them as well. Well, that's a really good point. That's something that I certainly would never have picked up on because I didn't, I didn't stream this game. But that, that's it then. That's the only, the only real complaint you've got with it so far. It's just that one. Yeah, that's, that's the only thing that's really like taken me out of the game. That's like a, like a game breaking kind of bug for me. You know, when there's like a glaring technical issue. Something like that just 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 phases me straight out. And then sometimes I find it hard to get back into the game after, you know, thinking, why is that still there? Yeah, that, that, that does sound really annoying, to be fair. Um, well, I got two things. I got two issues that I have with the game. They're not game-breaking or anything like that. They don't really harm it too much. But they're things that I'm hoping that they can really rectify and up in the next game. The first is melee combat. Melee combat, I feel was shown in the trailers to be like as if it's really kinetic, that it's really engaging to do. And it's not. It's the weakest part of the game, in my opinion. It was the first skill tree I leveled up to completion was melee, so that I could really start unpacking that system. It's really light. The enemies on normal difficulty do not have the health for you to really be able to start putting any real skill into it. And all it comes down to is just a case of just mashing. And if you just mash, you get through it fine which I feel is a really a wasted potential because the human enemies in this game as opposed to the first game, you have to really fight them with melee. Your arrows do nothing to them. Whereas in the first game, you could go through an entire bandit camp and never hit anyone. It was all about just shooting them. And the robots in the first game, you could use your melee on because it was busted and it would cause knockdown. Whereas in this game, melee does nothing to them. So it's very much a case of your melee is supposed to be for your human enemies and your arrows and your guns are for your machines that you're fighting a, a very clear split between the two of them issue is that melee combat is so unrewarding to do that i just didn't enjoy doing it i ended up just ended up put putting all my stats into the sneaking ability and going through and just taking everyone out with stealth it's definitely the weakest part uh, they need to do a lot of work on that i think even just adding something like a parry system 
would really open that combat up and really make it a lot more meaningful than it is currently. And my other complaint is when it comes to overriding machines. So overriding machines in this game works very much the same way as the first game. Other than in this, when you've gone through your entire skill tree for overriding, you do not get lasting overrides. What that means is that say you're in a fight with a Stormbird and say a Ravenger, a Ravenger are these big machines that have machine guns on their back. And you think, right, well, I'm going to use that Ravenger to, to really start doing some damage to that Stormbird that's up there. And then me and the Ravenger could just take out the Stormbird together, working as a, as a team. Well, even with a maxed out override on it, permanent what, what you think would be a permanent override in the last game, isn't. It's on a timer. So if that fight goes on a little while, it means then all of a sudden, you've then got both threats to fight. That's so annoying. That's so annoying. Because in the first game, that was not the case. You overrid it when you had a full override and it was on your side. And that was it. And sure, it would, it would stay in that area so it wouldn't follow you around forever or anything. So it wouldn't be busted. But now you, you're constantly having to watch their bar and make sure, Christ, I hope that doesn't go down too low because then I have to switch my attention over to it. It, it just seems like a total misstep. That's a real shame to hear because... That is one of the appeals of the game is to be able to control these big ass monsters, isn't it? You know, that's part of why people want to play Horizon, to, to do the override and to take over these monsters. I've only experienced it to a, a much lesser degree as you because I haven't leveled the tree all the way. But yeah, I, I'm kind of saddened to hear that you don't get the permanent override when you get to the, the lower parts of that tree. No, it'll last for like two minutes, but some of these fights against some of the bigger things can last a while. And so two minutes isn't enough. And, and so that, it, that is a real shame. That is a real shame. For the, for the lesser enemies, you know, for smaller things like claw striders and things like that, which are like the velociraptors, two minutes is fine. You've got plenty of time. You ever start tearing through everything and it feels like a, like a god. But when you're fighting something big that's got a lot of health, it, it does start, start getting annoying. You, you find yourself kind of sneaking off and going into, into cover and then waiting for it all to reset and then just do it again, get another override on it. It's, it's kind of annoying. And this also then translates to my last critique of this game. And that is you've got a, a smorgasbord full of machines to override. You've got so many different machines. There's only three mounts. Why? You've got deer enemies in this, right? Like they were in the last game. Uh, fang horns. They're not actual deers. They're made of metal. So why can't I sit on it? It's not like it's going to break. It's not like if I got on, got on the back of a fucking deer and its back just snaps. It's made of metal, for fuck's sake. It's so annoying. There's literally, like, you got a Charger, which is in the last game. you got then a Bristleback, which is in the last game. And you got a Claw Strider. That's it. What about the Flyer Mount? That's the last final mount you do. And that's the only Flyer Mount as well. I, I really hope that I could, you know, catch a Stormbird and have that as my Flying Mount. You know, something, something like an absolute monster that you can just rag about the place. But no. You know, why can't I ride on the back of a fucking T-Rex? How cool would that be? I do agree with you to a certain degree, but yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like if they give you the ability to, you know, ride ride the big dinosaur, a, 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 like dino um, dino riders in, into combat, it might be a little bit game-breaking, really, if you turn up on a T-Rex. Yeah, they, they could add some kind of solution. I'm not a game designer here. There, there could be some kind of compromise here to make it so that you can't have it all the time or you can't take it everywhere. But just give me the ability to just at least get on it. It would be cool, even just for the screenshot, to just be on the back of it, you know? Just 
firing a bow off while it's shooting beams at everything. It would just be so dope. But that's it. They're not game-breaking things. They're not things that really cheapen the experience, but they're things that I hope Guerrilla take and, and really think about how they're going to change how the open world works and how these mounts can be kind of incorporated into it a bit more so they had a little bit more value than they currently are. In terms of ratings, to, to tie this off, how has your rating progressed since the last time you spoke about this film? Well, I'm pretty gassed about this title. Obviously, last episode i i sort of gave it a, a pretty poor rating of a seven i think this has jumped up to a to a, to a strong nine now for me I'm, I'm really really enjoying this game i think this is probably going to come in right at the top of my favorite playstation 5 game and obviously we're right at the start of this generation so there's not much competition probably before that it was ratchet and clank and i kind of feel at the moment with horizon forbidden west it has jumped above it so nine out of ten for me I am looking to complete this game uh, to fruition, and I am looking to get the Platinum. Davey, I know you took 66 hours to complete it. I'm at 44, so that probably, with my math, uh, sets me at two-thirds of the way through the game. So I should have it fully completed, ready for the next episode, but I don't think my rating is going to change. I'd concur on, the, on that. Um, after getting the Platinum and seeing everything this game's got, I'd give it a, a strong 9. It's not quite a 10 for me. I don't think it does enough too special to really elevate it to a 10. I don't think it really pushes the boundaries too much. I think it plays it quite safe with a lot of things. And so for me, as wonderful as the game is, it's one of the best stories that I've experienced in, in quite a while. And especially how it grows the universe of Horizon and expands upon that. I'll be really excited to see the third one. And I wasn't disappointed with the game. I can't quite put it up there with Returnal, which is still my favorite game because I, I felt that was just a, a fresh experience. Whereas this, I felt that even though it was much better than the first game in literally every single way, it doesn't do enough to really elevate it to a 10. Quick news. Or reliable, fuck it. <laughs> Quick news. <laughs> I know Davey hates that. EA have released a statement announcing that they have deleted Russia from FIFA 2022. The statement is as follows. EA Sports stands in solidarity with the Ukrainian people and like so many voices across the world of football, calls for peace and an end to the invasion of Ukraine. In line with our partners at FIFA and UEFA, EA Sports have initiated processes to remove the Russian national team and all Russian clubs from EA Sports FIFA products including FIFA, 2020, uh, FIFA 2022, FIFA Mobile and FIFA Online. We're also actively evaluating related changes to other areas of our games. And then they went on again and released a second statement which states, We continue to be shocked at the conflict that is unfolding in Ukraine and join so many voices around the world in calling for peace and an end to the invasion. We stand in solidarity with the people of Ukraine. Our primary concern is the ongoing safety of those in the region, particularly colleagues and partners. We are seeking to understand how we might best help them further beyond our programs that are already in place. We have made the decision to stop sales of our games and content, including virtual currency bundles in Russia and Belarus while this conflict continues. As a result, our games and content will no longer be available for purchase in our Russian region, storefront on Origin, or the EA app, including through in-game stores. We are also working with our platform partners to remove our titles from their stores and stop the sale of new in-game content in the region. As this deeply troubling situation evolves, we're continually reviewing the steps we can take. In addition to changes to our EA Sports, FIFA, and NHL games, we are actively evaluating other areas of our games and operations and will update with any further actions. So guys, today's sound effects from Metal Gear Solid.
snake here. And did you know that we have Resident Evil news? I wanted to take the shot for that because I wanted just to say this in full because this is mega exciting and I did not see this coming. So we have updates from Capcom for Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3 and Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. They are going to be coming to the PlayStation 5 later this year in 2022. So this is the statement from them directly. You can experience three acclaimed Resident Evil titles like never before when Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3, and Resident Evil 7 arrive on PlayStation 5 later this year. Developed using Capcom's proprietary RE engine, all three titles will take cutting-edge features including ray tracing, high frame rate, and 3D audio to enhance the immersion of the award-winning experiences. For PlayStation 5 players, all three titles also feature engaging DualSense support for haptive feedback and adaptive triggers. And the great news for all of us is that players who previously purchased Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3, or Resident Evil 7 on PlayStation 4 are eligible for an upgrade at no additional cost. How insane is that news? The best news of the year already, and it's only March. That is worth a shot in my books. Quick news. Stalker 2 development has been put on hold due to the war in the Ukraine. Kiev-based studio GSC Gamer World says it's focused on helping the employees and their families survive the Russian invasion. The game development has shifted to the sideline, but will definitely continue after the victory. <laughs> Quick news. Journey developer That Game Company gets $160 million investment with the intended purpose to go towards the service of their game entitled Sky Children of Light's player base game development, and towards the expansion of their staff. Quick news. PlayStation-owned studio Housemark's next game will be a new IP rather than a sequel to last year's PS5 exclusive Returnal and my personal game of the year. In a new VentureBeat interview, Housemark CEO and co-founder, and I apologise in advance, I'm probably going to murder this name, Alari Kutanen, said the studio's next project is still in the conception phase, so for those of us that are intending to go back to Atropos, we'll be waiting a little while longer. Quickity, quick, 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 quick. News, 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 news. The lineup for EVO 2022 has been announced, guys. Street Fighter V Champions Edition, Guilty Gear Strive, Mortal Kombat 11 Ultimate, Tekken 7, The King of Fighters, Melty Blood Type Lumina, Dragon Ball Fighter Z. Grand Blue Fantasy Versus and Skullgirls Second Encore. Evo 22 will be running from August 5th through August 7th, pitting the world's greatest fighting game players against each other across these nine titles. And I cannot wait. You guys get the idea. It's quick news. I don't need a silly noise. Come on. Forspoken developer Luminous Productions have released a statement saying they have made the decision to move the release date of Forspoken to October 11th, 2022. Our vision for this exciting new IP is to deliver a game world and hero that gamers across the globe will want to experience for years to come, so getting it right is extremely important to us. To that end, during the next few months we will focus all of our efforts on polishing game and can't wait for you to experience Frey's journey this fall. Quick news. Grand Theft Auto 5 and GTA Online arrive on the PlayStation 5 tomorrow from the day of recording. 
So, by the time you hear this, they are already out. They can be purchased digitally and preloaded from the PlayStation Store. At launch, the game will cost $9.99, which is 75% off its standard price of $39.99. And that's until June 14th. So if you are desperate to get back to GTA V, then you better act quickly on this. Now, the upgrades themselves, they offer visuals up to 4K resolution, frame rates up to 60 frames per second, HDR, ray tracing, faster loading times. And all this is delivered through three different modes that you can choose. So fidelity mode is tuned for the highest visual quality and targets 30 FPS. In this mode, the PlayStation 5 supports native 4K with ray tracing on. You've got performance mode, which is tuned for the most responsive gameplay experience targeting 60 frames per second. And this mode, the PlayStation 5 supports upscaled 4K with no ray tracing. And finally, sealing a note from Insomniac's playbook, you have performance ray tracing mode, which is a hybrid of the fidelity and performance modes, supporting upscaled 4K with ray tracing enabled and targeting 60 frames per second. I know which mode I would play if I bothered to buy this game, which I am not because it came out about 10 years ago. Play something else, for God's sake. Quick news. I'm the Batman. (laughs) 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 You gotta leave that one in. You gotta use that. I am the Batman. There we go. Is that alright for you guys? And you could be joining the Batman family too, with Gotham Knights released later this year. You suit up for an all-new adventure, October 25th, 2022. Gotham always needs its heroes. Uh, Quick news. One's at the ready, gamers, for an all-new state of play focused on Hogwarts Legacy, featuring an extended first look at gameplay this Thursday, March 17th at 2pm PT or 9pm GMT here where we have pubs. Quick news. As reported by Bloomberg, And this is taken directly from IGN. And this is quite a bit of a long one. So strap in, make a lunch, make a sandwich. Here we go. Let's get into this. A former IT security analyst at Sony PlayStation has filed a lawsuit against the company alleging gender discrimination and wrongful termination after speaking up about discrimination against females at the company. The lawsuit was filed with California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing, which submitted a similar lawsuit against Activision Blizzard earlier on last year. Eight more women, including both current and former employees of PlayStation, have joined the lawsuit alleging sexist treatment during their time at the company. The new plaintiffs accused PlayStation of fostering a work environment with behaviours included demeaning remarks and unwelcome advances, as well as greater difficulty in getting promoted for women than men. Sony tried to dismiss the case stating, Despite the sweeping breadth of her lawsuit, the allegations in which SIE categorically denies, she fails to plead facts to support either her individual claims or the claims of the broad-based classes of women she seeks to represent. Sony's move to dismiss the case was made partly on the basis that plaintiff did not adequately represent the experience of female employees at the company. The addition of multiple new voices making similar allegations may make that a harder angle to push. And we will watch this case closely to see how this progresses from here. Quick news. So guys, the NPD results are in. And this is what we know about February's biggest hitters. 
Horizon Forbidden West is the biggest launch for any game released so far on the PlayStation 5 in revenue. It was also the number one best-selling game on PlayStation platform for the month of February in revenue. Via MPD, Elden Ring is the second biggest launch of any game in the last 12 months in the US behind Call of Duty Vanguard. Its launch units were so big, in only one month it's already surpassed the lifetime sales of Battlefield 2042, Far Cry 6, and Resident Evil Village in revenue. Ah, he's hit the button! <laughs> Both of us doing it! What the hell is wrong with us this episode? It must be because I haven't pushed this button in so long. My finger has just missed that juicy little button. Resident Evil, boys. There it is. Well, we'll take all these shots on the next episode. So we've got to remember now that you and me both owe one, Phil. All right, we won't let that forget. We won't let that slide for episode 39, which is in two weeks' time. I'll remember yours, you remember mine, and that's the way we'll guarantee it. Well, let's move it on to Rumour Has It. Kick it! Wake up with a rumour and you don't want to go. You ask if it's confirmed and they still say no. So lads, rumour has it. There's been a new report stating that apparently there's a Sly Cooper and an infamous game currently in development. Now what I want to know boys is are you both fans of this series? Who do you want developing it? What do you expect? It's kind of an open floor here. There's not a lot to go on. So this is pure speculation. Give it to me. Yeah, a little bit a little bit hit and miss, to be honest. Sly Cooper, I don't really care, to be honest. I'm not a, I'm not a Sly Cooper fan. I've never really played any of the Sly Cooper games. Now, I know that you have spent, so it'd be quite interesting to know your thoughts on this. But for me, the game series that I care about in that is Infamous. And I would adore seeing Infamous come out because, sure, we got Spider-Man. And he's kind of our superhero game of choice at the moment. And yes, we got, you know, uh, Suicide Squad killed the Justice League coming out potentially this year. Probably looks like it's probably going to be next year, to be honest, with the, the rumors that have been going on about that. But we haven't had an actual, like, crazy-powered superhero game since the last Infamous, which came out, you know, Second Son, which came out at the start of PlayStation 4. It's been a hell of a long time since we've had anything with kind of Infamous's power suite. Now, Infamous Second Son took the series off in a bit of a weird way. We got a new protagonist that a lot of people didn't like. Um, and he had powers where he could absorb other people's powers. So he ended up taking on some cool powers, like he was able to run really fast. He was able to get concrete powers so he can control concrete. And that's really cool. But really, I want to see Cole come back from Infamous 1 and 2. I want to get those electric powers I want to see electric powers with ray tracing. Holy hell, that'd be so cool. And the powers that he had, his movement around the city, Cole's powers, were just insane. It has such a good story. And the way Infamous 2 ends, spoilers, spoiler alert for a game that's over, like, you know, a, a generation old, uh, back on PlayStation 3, was that he fights this guy called the Beast, and they both die. But there's a boat going off in the distance, and lightning strikes that boat. And you think, oh, Cole's alive, he's alive. But we haven't seen him. So I want to see Cole just come out of nowhere and for it to be back. And the studio that I want making it 
is Sucker Punch, the studio who made it originally. Of course, they've gone on to make Ghost of Tsushima. So could I see them coming back? Probably not, unless they got like a kind of B team on the case. But I would love that. I would really love them to come back and, and, and make Infamous again. I just want to be able to see this old school kind of style of game of just having fun and it being an open world, but you've got superhero powers and it's that choice between good or evil. And it gives you two ways to be able to play the game through. Very basic, very on the nose, but just fun with a really good story, which is what those first two infamous games had. So I would be over the moon with that. And I could see it being true. I could definitely see it being true. Superhero everything is all the rage. And you've got a superhero there to use. So why not do it? The Spider-Man's not going to share any of the same skill set that Cole has in Infamous. So you've got a lot of creative liberty there to be able to go out and do something really unique in an own world that isn't, you know, beholden by comic book lore or by real life places. You could really just visualize a cool ass city, do it however you want to do it and just have free reign to just really just stretch your artistic passion there. I, I think there's a lot they could do. I, I'd be over the mood to see this come back. What about yourself, Spence? How are you feeling about Sly Cooper? Would you want to see that series return? I know you're a fan of that. I am a fan of Sly Cooper. I would I would say out of the two titles that we've discussed, I would rather see Infamous than Sly Cooper. Granted, I wasn't a big fan of Infamous's sequels. I much prefer just Infamous 1 and 2, but I didn't really give the sequels the time to enjoy them. I played Second Son a little bit, but not a lot. Sly Cooper, I haven't played it really since I was a kid, and I did love those games. And all I can think now about Sly Cooper is that, fuck me, if that came back, that'd be such an amazing platinum. And that's all I can think about the game. I don't, I can't really remember the story or anything. I just remember finding it fun and it being short. So that's what I want out of a platinum. I'd love that. Infamous, I'd want either, what I would really, really love to see with Infamous would be a third game following straight off one and two and then maybe a remake or a port of one and two come with it digitally or something because i'd love to play those first two games again i remember i played the first game doing the good all throughout and then the game ends and it gives you the choice and for some reason i was just like fuck it i'll be evil <laughs> after playing good the entire <laughs> way through i just switched oh no <laughs> like you saved you saved your misses then right at the end I did everything. And then the final choice, I was just like, nah, fuck it. I played the game being good. Now I'll fuck about being bad. Yeah. I, I suppose that's the, that's the only issue with, with the choice-based system like that is that you, you really should just stick to one side. There's not really like kind of too, too much to and fro in, uh, even though you obviously have to and fro but But I think for most people, it's very much a case of you choose a path and you stick to it rather than it being a bit more, more grey. But I think with, with a new game, they could really kind of go into this grey territory where you don't know if you're making a good choice or a bad, you know, and, and, and they could really flex that and have some fun with it and make it so you're like, oh, no, I didn't mean for that to happen. Like those kind of things, right, which are, which are always really cool in choice-based games. And I really enjoy that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, who, who the hell knows? Phil, you were never a fan of Infamous back on PlayStation 3. I remember, you know, talking about it quite a lot to you at the time in the gym. How are you feeling about this? Do, are you interested at all in any of these franchises coming back? 
Uh, to be honest, Stevie, um, neither of these sort of characters have you know got a, a long legacy with myself. I've never, I've never really played any of the Sly Cooper games, and as you said, yeah, I've never really dug too far into the infamous games. Um, outside playing these characters in PlayStation All Stars, I haven't really spent a lot of time with them, uh, but I have been doing a little bit of digging around on Wikipedia to see what I could find when it comes to the infamous games because i think that one probably is the more appealing out of the two for me um there has actually been five games uh to do with the infamous series so infamous one two uh festival of blood second sun and first light um all with a kind of <laughs> waterfall effect when it comes to their metacritics um infamous sort of starting on 85 percent and first light being the last uh, version of it in 2014, um, coming out at a 73. So it has been trailing off a little bit. But what I have found on the Wikipedia, I don't know who's updating this, we've got Infamous 3 clocked in for 2023. And that's on the Wikipedia page. So if that's proof, guys, it's coming. I mean, I would be the first one to absolutely go mental. If it, if it does come back, it's one of those franchises for me that I hold in the same kind of esteem and the same kind of conversation that I would have about Resistance or Killzone. I adore, absolutely adore Infamous. So seeing it come back, I would go nuclear. I would pop off. I would love it. Here we go, Davey. Here's the information from the Wikipedia page. Infamous 3 is a sequel to Second Son and Infamous 2. That's what we've got. Hmm. Okay. All right. I mean, if there's a way that we could just straight away just kill off, the main protagonist from Second Son, if he could somehow just die, maybe, I don't know, electrocution, and then we just have Cole, that would be fine with me. Even if we're playing like an evil Cole, totally cool with that, wouldn't bother me at all, as long as we can kill off the main protagonist from the first one, because he was from Second Son, because he was smarmy. And there's nothing worse than when someone's cocky, but they're just a bit of a dick. And, that, and that's what he was. Dave, forgive me if I'm wrong, but was he was he like the Raiden of Metal Gear Solid then? Where initially people didn't like him, but there are a few fans out there? Well, the difference is Raiden got a brand new look and he came back as a cyborg ninja. And he went from being a total soy boy bitch in Metal Gear Solid 2 to coming back as the most badass character I've ever seen. Where he's fighting like five geckos and vamp at the same time. And like twirling them around in his legs in a 45 minute cutscene. Unless this guy that I can't even, he's so unmemorable with his beanie cap on that I can't even remember his name. All I know is he was voiced by Troy Baker, like everyone is these days. But I do not even remember his name. Not even a clue. Couldn't even, couldn't even tell you if my life depended on it. Does Delson Rowe mean anything to you? Yes. Yes, it does. Now you said that. Yes, it does. What kind of a fucking name is Delson? If anyone out there is called Delson who listens to the podcast, please let me know. And I want to see proof. I want to see a birth certificate because there's no way you're called Delson. Because if you are, your parents hate you. Because that name is a fucking tragedy. And I, I feel sorry for you. I really do. Coming from the name who's Come from the guy whose first name is Matthew. Probably the most common name on the fucking planet. But at least I'm not called Delson Rowe. What a soy boy bitch. But guys, do you reckon this is a real thing or not? Do you reckon there's any hope of this actually coming true, regardless to what Wikipedia says? Spence, what do you reckon? 
I'm not sure about both titles. I think one of them's true. I think the infamous one's definitely true. I don't see why Psychable wouldn't return as well. It makes sense. It's a legacy game. I wouldn't be surprised if it's being planned and gets scrapped or something along the lines, but I think the fact that they're in development is 100% true. And if they want it to be fantastic, just give it the blue point. <laughs> just do it. Poor blue point. Doing everything under the sun. And then one team struggling around looking for resources. The one guy's like, I'm working on resistance. The other guy's like, I'm working on Legacy of Kane. The other guy's like, oh, I'm bringing back Destruction Derby. They're like, what? We never said about Destruction Derby. And he's like, oh, one guy on a podcast said about it once. And I, I, all of a sudden I'm doing it. You know, these poor teams, they get, they're getting stretched to, to beyond recognition. But it's, it's what we want. It's what we want. What about you, Phil? What do you reckon? The customer's never wrong, mate. And another game Blue Point are developing, and I'm putting my neck on the line. And this is why the characters are coming back. It's PlayStation All Stars Battle Royale 2. We we've 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 needed it for so long. Come on. Bring PlayStation All Stars back. We need a Smash Brothers for PlayStation. Completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. Not happening, but I completely agree with you on that one. We've got more chance of seeing Destruction Derby come back by by Blue Point themselves. Which I don't even know why I'm even saying about that one. I think I mentioned it once, like, 20 episodes ago. So it's a callback for anyone who's been listening to the back catalogue lately. Um, myself, I, I reckon, just like Spence, actually, I reckon this is true. I reckon uh, Infamous could come back. It should come back. Uh, 100%. Sly Cooper, don't really care. Uh, I can't see it having too much of a place in the wider ecosystem, especially when Ratchet and Clank are doing so well as kind of the, the mascots, and you've got, you know, Astrobot in the mix as well. Is there enough room for Sly Cooper as well? Probably not. Uh, and I'd say that the games didn't really sell too much to be able to really get enough of an audience there, unless it was like a £20 kind of budget title. Um, I, I see with Sly Cooper, you could probably see them being a remastered collection coming back and then kind of testing the water with that, rather than a brand new entry. But again, with any of these rumors, we'll have to just wait and see. And and hopefully one day we may get that big one that was promised to us. Because as we're going to discuss later, the state of play certainly wasn't a big one. Stop. Topic time. Okay, guys. So we are on to the topics. Topic one, we actually recorded a couple of weeks back. Myself and Phil had the pleasure of sitting down with Jason Bradbury to discuss the future of VR what it means in terms of PlayStation VR 2, and the wider metaverse. It's an absolute pleasure to sit down with Jason. I hope you enjoy. Okay, guys, so for our next topic, I'd like to welcome a very special guest, Jason Bradbury. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. They're going wild, oh, Jason. They're going absolutely oh, insane. Wow, where'd you get those guys from? They, they were great. I just, I just put them, put them back now. Very enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, I'm excited to be on the podcast, guys. It, it's this is uh, this is absolutely brilliant. I love your work. Genuinely, I'm, I'm a real fan. Well, thank, thank you very much. I mean, you know, there's a queue of them out the door lining up. You just heard queue in just then for 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 me, but I'll park them to the side for now. We'll just concentrate on uh, thank you. on just this. Share, share them out a little bit. Exactly. Now, Jace, you, you and Phil go back quite a way because you were both working on Super Robot Attack, I believe it was. Shall, shall we explain what that is then? Because most people are thinking, who? Jason who? Super what? So um, I was working on a show called The Gadget Show, which some of your audience will know. 
if you don't know it, it was um, a show. I was on it for 12 years. Uh, it was on, on uh, UK TV. And it, it's a bit like Top Gear, but about gadgets. That, that's, I think that's a good description, isn't it, Phil? Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. It's all about gadgets. Everything technological, the future. That's what you guys were all about, weren't it? Yeah, it was brilliant. And it was quite a high concept. It had that sort of gang show thing where we'd do like ridiculous stuff, you know, like like if, if a gadget, if they said it was indestructible, we'd get dynamite and blow it up. Or um, we put I put some jet engines on a skateboard and and tried to break the world record. And then we, um, and the other one that we did that everyone remembers, actually, you can probably YouTube this actually, is we, we made up this fantastic uh, first person shooter simulator and we got this huge, big kind of igloo tent structure. And then we got this omnidirectional treadmill, which relates, I'm guessing, in certain respects to what we're going to talk about today with the whole VR theme. Um, and then, guess, get, get this, we got, um, I think it was Battlefield. Yeah, it's Battlefield that we used. And we got um, a bunch of paintball guns. And you know when you get shot by a paintball gun, it's not pretty, is it? And we had, no, we had I can't remember how many, but let's say we had four of them. Yeah, and we and we had some code written so that the uh, incoming fire audio triggered the paintball guns. So you were there with, um, you know, with the most immersive uh, FPS experience certainly that I've ever had. We then got a famous member of the SAS called Andy McNabb to come and uh, and try it. So it was really spectacular. We used to do these really big events, but when I was doing that. Um, I I wanted like YouTube was at its very very beginnings, and I really wanted to do something. And my kind of idea was to create uh, the kind of bi a bipedal version of Robot Wars, right? So bipedal meaning two legs. So I wanted to have like walking robots instead of like robots that look like you know robot vacuum cleaners battling it out in an arena. And thus Super Robot Attack was born. We got these robots from uh, South Korea. And it's spelled S-U-P-A rather than S-U-P-E-R, in case you want to have a look on the old YouTube. And I needed a boffin to program the robots, someone that was good at Python, because that was, I think that was the language they used, although I'm sure you're correct. I mean, that was Phil. And I did an advertisement, and this Welshman contacted me, called Phil Hoy, and the rest is history. You worked, How long did you work for me? A couple of years, was it, Phil? Yeah, I think I was there for two years with you, but um, the Super Robot Attack um, experience, it, it was crazy. You know, um, I, I, I saw you post out that you were looking for someone who had a bit of experience in, in robots and, and sort of programming. I was like, hell, I've been to university. I've got my computer science degree. I'm a big Transformers fan. I'm a big Guns and Wing fan. So let's put the CV in. Let's see what happens. I'm a massive fan of the Gadget Show, massive fan of yours, Jace, and uh, kept my fingers crossed and you came through. I remember uh, getting the phone call. I think I was, uh, I, I was in, I was in class um, in university, my second degree actually. And uh, I, I remember like going out that night and celebrating hard because it, it was a, it was a big experience getting that call up from you. That makes me feel good, bro. It was great when we had such fun and you know what, Davey, we had these little robots and they were they were so painful to program, weren't they? They kept falling over and and yet we, we got some great footage uh, in this sort of boxing dojo that we set up and we got we did a promo for it. Would you believe? Oh, my God. I, I hadn't thought about this for years. I did a promo up in Birmingham. In fact, we were there like trying to get them ready for it. And it was uh, we, uh, we got KSI and LEA. And they both uh, faced off against each other, didn't they, Phil, using the robots? 
Yeah, yeah, we had two uh, original YouTubers, uh, KSI and Ali A. Obviously, they've grown in fame ever since Super Robot Attack, so it definitely had something to do with their their climb. I, I don't want to take too much oh, away from down to what that. they've done, but it, it's definitely <laughs> yeah. down to Super Robot Attack, obviously. Uh, I think he, people... probably, he got the idea for the boxing from that, don't you think? He got that idea from us. Yeah, definitely, 100%, 100%. And if anyone does want to search up those videos, it is Super Robot Attack, and we will be putting the links in the description of the podcast. Um, but just to move on slightly, um, during that time with Jason, obviously we had some crazy experiences. I got to go to the Xbox One launch uh, in Leicester Square, got to go to some after parties with uh, with Microsoft. Uh, I remember going to... Uh, this, this party where all the rooms were themed as all the different games uh, that were coming out on the Xbox One. That was incredible. Um, I got to pick up the PlayStation 4 uh, from the Sony offices. I remember being on the train back and someone noticing it in my bag. And I was absolutely in my pants because I didn't want to lose it. It was one of the first in the UK. You got it pre-release. And I remember getting to your house and we were able to play COD really, really early on, weren't we? Man, we did some stuff, man. We really did some stuff. It was really heady days, you know. I and mean, that's why eventually I had to leave, which sounds weird. But, you know, it, it was like partying, wasn't it? It was like sort of like partying for a decade, <laughs> making TV. And I was traveling the world as well at the same time. So, and I had little kids. And then I just kind of, it all kind of uh, got got to the point where I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, I've, I've done this. This has been incredible, but it's like a rich chocolate cake. I can't, I just can't keep eating it. I've, I'm starting to feel, you know, ill. And so I then went down a different route and uh, Phil went off and did amazing things. And, and, uh, and we've, we still work together, don't we, on little projects. But uh, it was it was brilliant. You really did introduce me to the new generation of PlayStation because my history with PlayStation goes way back to uh, PlayStation 1, or well, you know, first-gen PlayStation, uh, and I kind of drifted away, really, and, uh, until PS4, and we got the PS4, didn't we? We had a, a, that, that early one, which we had in the kind of uh, Super Robot Dojo workshop place. And there was also a moment, wasn't there? Do you remember this, Phil, when um, one of the PlayStation reps, along with the Gadget Show crew, uh, came to my house, and they brought the prototype for PSVR, which at the time, I think, I think at the time I, I, I realised even then was, was an amazing thing and i was hugely humbled to be able to play it but i remember i'm sure you were around then and i was sitting on the sofa lying down feet first doing the street luge do you remember that demo yeah i do remember it it was more of a kind of uh like olympics one wasn't it that, that as I, I don't even know what it was called it, i don't know if it even made the kind of cut in terms of when they properly released it but anyway minds were blown weren't they phil because we'd, we'd been using the first generation oculus sdk one or SDK two, uh, I had both of those at one point, and you know, Oculus original Oculus was amazing, but PSVR was so much more polished, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember uh, one of my tasks uh, while working for you was to set up Oculus so we could play Skyrim, and I think we played the original Half Life as well uh, through the original Oculus. So that was quite an experience. And to be honest, uh, I wasn't in that impressed early on, um, but when the PS VR came along. That definitely blew my socks off. I remember, I think one of the demos we, we, we got to see was the, we were in the fish tank and we were getting lowered in a cage and a shark would attack us. Yeah, I believe that was the, one of the I demos that. that we saw. And that, and that was a massive step up. And we, and we definitely knew something was special then at that stage with, with VR. But you see, I think PSVR, I know we're, not, we're going to get into this, but I, I think even then it was showing where it was going to go, that, that kind of slightly quirky experiential thing that they're really good at at Sony. 
and 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 their whole community of developers. Um, and we saw a glimpse of it, didn't we? I tell you something, David, that you will be jealous of, mate. Is where Phil, where I had Phil working in my in this sort of workshop. If you opened the door next to his desk, the DeLorean was sat there, the Back to the Future DeLorean with the full time time circuits, which I I still own actually, but it was in this workshop, dude. <laughs> oh, honestly, Jace, I, I I was with Phil when we saw you at like Gadget Show Live, and when I was at the gym when Phil was like, oh, I, I'm gonna try the PS4. And I remember I was just like looking at him like I could stare through his head. I was like, oh, I was like so jealous. I was like so red with rage, you know. So I, I'm jealous about all this. You don't need to tell me about the DeLorean because I'm literally I'm at the I'm at the point where I'm like, I can't take it. I can't take any more, Jace. This envy. I'm not bragging. I'm just it's just that it was an amazing time. Look, we're all we're all young. You know, we, we, we all grow up, don't we? We grew up with video games. I mean, when I grew up with video, I, I grew up actually in real terms, before video games. I mean, uh, I'll believe it or not, I was born in 1969. And so I was 11 in 1980. Uh, and my first console was the Atari 2600 in about 1980. That, that had been released, I think, in 79. So, but nevertheless, you know, general statement, we all grew, grew up with video games. We all grew up with, uh, with you know, movies like Back to the Future and, and Star Wars and all the rest of it. And and so to be alive now, but but also to be alive then, and have access to those amazing product launches and prototypes, it was uh, it was it, it was an incredible experience. Amazing. It was very very rock and roll for the time I was there, definitely. <laughs> um, but people, definitely, I I will point you to Jason's Instagram because he has a huge collection of video games and video games consoles and video game paraphernalia that he's always posting about. So definitely go and check that out. It definitely dwarfs my uh, collection that I have, uh, which I feature on the show from time to time. But definitely worth going to check out because some of the things you bring out, I'm so jealous about some of the stuff you've got, Jace. Oh yeah, I've got some lovely bits. Um, I. One of the things I'm most proud of is my Vectrex. I've got a really good condition Vectrex. I've got one of those. So uh, have you got Vectrex? Yeah, yeah, I've got a Vectrex. Uh, and I, oh, I've got the little plastic nice. screens that you put on, so it's all in colour. That, that's where I started oh. with video gaming. So uh, when I was growing up, my dad had a Vectrex. He brought that down, and that was my first console uh, when I was growing up. So, uh, yeah, oh, actually, so we're, cool. we're quite similar in that that's respect. So cool. Yeah, no, it takes a real connoisseur to, um, to you know, to have one of those on, on, on the shelf. And... Um, but I just I, I think it's a very accessible hobby as well, isn't it? Like you don't have to be, a, you know, a millionaire to, to actually reunite yourself with uh, some of the, the key iconic pieces of hardware from your youth. And often uh, I didn't have a Vectrex when I was younger. So often it's the ones you wanted that you looked at in the catalogue and thought, wow, you know, so. I think it's a great hobby. I mean, it's getting more expensive. Obviously, I think there is inherent value uh, as we move forward in time. These things, then they're not going to be reinvented. Certainly, the the, uh, the original hardware isn't. But it's still it's still very very affordable and it gives me enormous pleasure. Dude. I, I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? That there's so many people now that have decided to go into like retro collecting and into retro games now. And and I'm saying retro, I'm talking, you know, like 90s stuff, like even like, you know, SNES and Mega Drive stuff, like getting those now is like really hard. Whereas I remember, I remember back like 10 years ago, we'd walk past like a bargain bin and there'd be like hundreds of Dang. different games in there that people were throwing out. And and now, and now you, you can't even remotely get any of this stuff, you know, it's like so yeah. expensive. It's gone up in so much value. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely, it's, it's bonkers, isn't it? I'm, I'm no investor, right? I've never been motivated by money. I'd, I'd rather just, you know, spend it and have fun. 
So I've got a DeLorean. <laughs> it's hardly practical, is it? <laughs> but um, I, I, I mean, I think it's probably a good investment to get into um, re retro hardware. I tell you what does well for me on on Instagram. I'll, you'd be surprised, right? More than say um, snares or uh, I've got you know, obviously NES and you know Atari Jaguar and all that, whatever. PlayStation, first-gen PlayStation content on social media does massive numbers. So if I want to do a post and guarantee a, re a reaction, I'll do something with my PlayStation. And it doesn't have to be particularly creative. There's so much love for the first-generation PlayStation. It's extraordinary. Speaking of, like, classic PlayStation, like PS1 stuff, what was, like, your favourite game from that generation? Do you have one? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a difficult question, that, isn't it? Because there are so many absolute... Uh, crackers. I was thinking this on the train. I was I've actually writing some down. There's so many games that are not just great games, but synonymous with, you know, a time and a place and people. Like I remember sitting on my bedroom floor playing Gran Turismo over the course of about a year with a group of friends who I've sort of lost contact with now. And then when I'd moved to London and I was starting my career after I'd been to university and I used to, we used to sit there for like seven hours until like three in the morning playing Gran Turismo. And um, Gran Turismo 2, probably, probably that's, it might be my, fav my favourite game. I thought Wipeout was amazing. I love the soundtrack. Metal Gear Solid. I mean, come on. Well, I mean, that was just absolutely mold-breaking, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, I, tell you, I, 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 I tell you what I've got. I, I don't know whether I played it at the time. But I've bought it since, and I play it a lot, and I think it's just brilliant. It's Time Crisis with the, uh, the gun, and Point Blank as well. They're, they're so good. Such good arcade replicas. I have both of those in my collection, and I have Point Blank 1, 2, and 3. It's incredible games. So, Jace, leaving the retro stuff to the side just for the minute, and looking yeah. towards the future, and the announcement of PSVR 2, and, of course, the ongoing future when we look at Metaverse as well, does all this make you excited for what's to come? Oh, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> this is like, this is the new internet. We're talking about the new, the, the reinventing of the internet. I mean, that, we are literally about to witness significant level change, right? So what I mean by that is, you know, you were around with the invention of the internet, right? You were prescient before the internet and then i was yeah. i was yeah yeah and then the invention of smartphones so not just the mobile phone but the smartphones so the mobile internet they're, they're just like on a philosophical level that they are just huge events for our species in terms of what it's enabled us to do and where it's led to well we're about to do it again except we're about to kind of mess with reality and move into something which genuinely in certain regards could be a bit like Ready Player One and those sorts of um, fictional renderings of, of that future. Eventually, I think it's clear that's where we'll be uh, in some form of hybrid augmented reality, mixed reality uh, world. But I mean, PSVR 2, Project Cambria, which is the kind of running name for whatever Meta are about to release, I think this year, if they're on track. Apple's own hardware, which I think we're probably going to see next year. And, and lots of other players. It, it really just promised to to bridge that gap between fully immersive VR, where you don't communicate with anyone and you're in your own world, apart from the multiplayer experience, which we'll get onto, which is huge for me at the moment on 
Quest Two with games like Population uh, Population One and stuff. But um, but but also I think there's going to be I think I think it's going to become more social and it's going to become more inclusive. In fact, I wonder. I don't know this, and I might be stepping out of line here, but the inside out tracking that's going to be part of PSVR two. Uh, using those four cameras that you've seen on the on the renderings that they released, I think just about a week ago. I wonder if there's going to be pass through on those, like there is on Oculus Quest Two. So there's a lot of buzz on Oculus Quest Two in the kind of developer uh, community because uh, Oculus Quest Two has a thing a bit like Dreams uh, on the PlayStation platform. It's it's called uh, Side Quest. And you can, it's not like Dreams in that it doesn't provide a gaming engine that you can utilize to make your own games, but it's an indie game platform where you can, you know, test out games that aren't quite ready for for sale and what have you. And um, loads of those products now are using the pass through functionality of the Quest 2. So you can see your room. I'll give an example. There's one at the moment where I can see my piano and a bit like Beat Saber. It teaches you a tune and it comes down and it hits my actual keys on my actual piano and I play the keys on the piano. Now, try and imagine. Now, that is the future. How? I mean, what? What you do when you set it up? This is just a little beta or alpha that I'm testing, right? You get the bottom of the controllers. You know the controllers on the uh, Quest 2. And you you take the end of it, the nub of one. So not the actual top, the, the handle. And you push it on the furthest key to the left. And you do the same with, the, with this one, the furthest key to the right. And then the Quest 2 is able to work out where your piano keys are and how many keys you've got. So it can then send these notes down and you can play Mozart on a real piano. That is so clever. Like gamifying uh, an actual skill like that is is so cool. There's um, there's a game that's coming out... Um, I think it was shown at last E3, and it's it's kind of a similar thing, not not with VR, but it's um it's for guitar, like teaching you how to play guitar. Um, but that on piano sounds amazing. Yeah. Like for me, who's never been able to play piano to save my life, that's the kind of thing that I could be like, do you know what? I might try and learn Moonlight Sonata or something, and that's like a way to do it. That's that's yeah. cool. That sounds it's awesome ex- to me. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, and, and, and um, you know, a lot of these things are cultural as well. Like, my son started playing piano. He's, he's 12. He was 12 this week, so he's only a youngster. And he start, he's now having lessons, but he started out for, like, two years doing those things on YouTube where those, those cascading notes, which it, it's the evolution of the species. Like, it, it just happens to be a lot easier to be proficient in a quite complex tune and to have left and hand, left and right hand syncopation with that sort of Beat Saber style cascading key format than it is to have a book um, and a and a cassette, right? It's all it's all about you know us kind of moving forward. And I do think you're right. I do think in terms of life skills, uh, learning things, education, uh, uh, working out, sort of chilling out, stretching out, whatever it is that you're doing. It, it, that that whole augmentation of the real world, recipes, cooking, things like that, that's a space. Certainly that Oculus, uh, sorry, that Meta uh, with their Quest uh, and Project Cambria, um, they're definitely in that zone. Um, I don't doubt for a second that Apple will be there because they're very lifestyle anyway, aren't they, as a, as a brand. Um, and their headset again is going to be, well, I think they're bringing out two, aren't they? They're bringing out a sort of more immersive one and then they're going to bring out one that's like a set of glasses. And that's going to be about bridging that gap between the, the real world and the augmented world, right? Or the, the, the virtual world. Um, but get, to get back to the point, PSVR 
2 is obviously an interesting one because um, in certain respects, it's got a bit of a legacy design about it. So, you know, it's got a cable that fits, that, that connects it, routes it to the PS5, right? And that's interesting when you think about the phenomenal success, whatever you think about Facebook and Meta and the name change and Zuckerberg and then, you know, clearly making billions off our data and not sharing it with us and all that stuff, whatever the political dimension is, let's put that to one side. You know, that what they've done with Quest has been phenomenal. I mean, it was just massive this Christmas. You'd think, God, it, you'd think it'd be starting to tail off. It was even bigger. And, and yet this is a standalone unit. The hardware's inside the unit. It's not cabled up, although it can be connected to a PC. It's really interesting that Sony decided to keep uh, their new headset tethered. That's a fascinating thing to me. Clearly, we're going to see some AAA experiences. Clearly, that raw power that your PS5 has got to offer is going to offer something really beautiful. I'm just saying, and some of your listeners will know more about it than I do, but I just wonder whether the four cameras are going to be used for more than just inside-out tracking, so you, your position in, in the room. And maybe there might be some interesting pass-through stuff. So I can see my table, I can see my feet, I can see the telly. Uh, oh, look, there's um, Astro. He's, he's on the table and, and all that sort of stuff. That mixed with the brilliant sensory interface, that um, absolutely industry-leading tactile feedback that you get from the, the DualSense controllers. And you know the tactile feedback is going to be in the, in the headset because they've said so at a recent event. It's going to be in the PSVR too. And they're so good at it, aren't they? they? They've got this sort of voodoo they do with movement. And, and it makes you feel like you're skating on glass and then your character jumps onto like grass and it feels different. I think VR can, it will really benefit from that. I'm so excited for it. It's definitely an exciting time. Um, but for us, we were discussing this on the last episode. It's going to be all about the games. Okay, we heard some rumours and we saw some uh, different articles about games that possibly could be coming out on the PSVR too. Uh, we've heard a little bit about the Horizon demo that's coming out, I believe, around the launch period. Jace, for you, what games are you looking forward to? What what characters? We, you've touched on your love for Gran Turismo uh, on the previous generations. Could you see a, a Gran Turismo take on VR, uh, PSVR too? I think they have to do it. The fact they haven't they haven't shown it around the launch could simply be because they want people to buy the game that's released this week, isn't it? I, 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 you, you know better than I do. Yeah, it comes out this uh, this Friday. So uh, we're, we're recording this on the uh, on the 1st of March, um, so a couple of days before the release. But yeah, it's, it's literally it's imminent. It is like here now, really. Uh, physical copies, some people have already received them. I think from a marketing point of view, it would be ill-advised for them to be um, showing it working on a, you know, a, a PSVR 2 because it might encourage people to hang on until they release that particular piece of hardware where they want to sell units, uh, the game right now, yeah? Um, but it wouldn't surprise me, you know, because what, one, of, one of the things that's held, well, it's, it's held all VR back, is the, you know, the, the fact that you've got to process so much data, there's so many floating point calculations, um, it, it's a really complicated thing. You're effectively playing two versions of the, of the game at the same time. So with, with a console, that's really difficult, isn't it? Because the architecture is designed specifically to play a game, right? A, a one single game. At least with a PC, post a headset, you can release new hardware like in the shape of graphics cards and RAM and stuff, and you can boost it a bit. With a console, you've got to get it right from the outset. And I think now, finally, 
with this, what is it? It's like, it's almost 4K or just up to 4K HDR, foveated rendering. You, do you know what that is? Foveated rendering? That, that's quite an interesting technique that they, that they use in, in VR helmets too. They, they, they basically render the stuff that you're looking at, uh, but the stuff that you're not looking at, they don't render to quite the same degree. Uh, and so, and then if you, as you move your eyes, that's what one of the things that the PlayStation VR, um, PSVR 2 is going to be able to do. It, it, it's going to track your eyes, so the movement of your eyes. They can then uh, use it, save valuable system resources by tracking where your eyes looking. I hope I haven't messed up that as a description. I'm just saying you've got the hardware grunt in the PS5 to do Gran Turismo 7. And what a brilliant like thing to do to release it in March of 2022 and then to drop the uh, PSVR 2 uh, you know, in the first quarter, whatever it is they've said, of uh, 2023 and to be able to revisit the marketing of Gran Turismo and sell it to a new audience or resell it to the existing audience. I mean... That that I feel I feel that's a shoe in I really do. I've got some other suggestions though for other games because I did think you might ask this. So I tell you what, and this is pure blue sky, right? Let's go. Let's hear any anything that's on your mind, Jace. Let's hear. Okay. It. All right. So I think anything. I think the rumours around about Valve and Sony are probably true, and that they've all been chatting about stuff, and so that means Half Life Alex, and it could be a unique version of Half Life Alex. And for anyone listening that doesn't, that isn't into VR, Half-Life Alex is the gold standard of VR. You know, an incredibly immersive environment created within the Half-Life world. Uh, Alex, is it, I forget her surname, but she's, is she, I think she's related to Gordon Freeman, isn't she? I am yet to play it, um, but I harp on about this every time the VR conversation comes up on the show because I really, really want to play it. I'm just waiting for either that hardware to to be a bit more affordable, for it to come out on PSVR 2, definitely would be a time for me to jump in, or for someone else to buy it because the... um, the, the Valve Index, it's a thousand pounds. It's a massive outlay for one game. But from what everyone's saying, that game might just be worth it. I think it is worth it. And there's an ancillary title called Boneworks, which is a kind of sandbox version of that world where there's all kinds of weird physics demos where you can, you know, float and stuff and, and pick up objects like with a gravity gun and all that sort of stuff. And that's a brilliant, brilliant, uh, uh, well, I guess it's not, it's a title. Yeah, it's a title. I was trying to describe it because it's a, it's literally a box of tools that you can play around with. Um, I think Spider-Man is a pretty much a shoe-in. Um, I played a demo of a Spider-Man title on Oculus, uh, on uh, uh, Meta. God, I've got to get used to it. I Does anyone call them Meta, though? Really? <laughs> but anyway. Um, and, uh, oh, there's a game I mentioned earlier. I want to tell you about this. Have you guys played Population One? No, I've never heard no, of it. No, no, not yet. Boys, honestly, this game is just about all I play at the moment on the, the Meta Quest. So... Um, you can play it on loads of different PC headsets, PC VR headsets, um, but it's really popular on Quest because you can actually play it natively on the Quest in the Quest store, so you don't have to hook up to a PC. It's basically like, imagine like Fortnite with a bit of parkour, so you can build things, but you can fly around, and then you've got colourful, quirky characters that wear sort of PUBG-style costumes, yeah, um, so it's a kind of non-serious first-person shooter. But I'm just telling you, you find the AK-47, right? You pick it up, yeah? And you, you hold it. And you know the experience from playing on PSVR. And you, you load the mag in, 
you know, you cock the barrel or whatever it's called, and then you start to shoot and you get the vibrations in the controllers and you running up buildings, you grab buildings and you, and you claw your way up to the top of a tower, you jump, you put your arms out, you fly down like a bird and you see someone and you pull a, a katana out of the back and you slice them. It's, man, and there's, I don't know how many players there are, it's probably 30 or something like that, but it, it's a it's a big sort of um, persistent world, uh, battle royale style thing with the, you know, the border, the zone closing in on you. Oh man, it is, it, it's just like living in the future. It's, it's an amazing experience. I always feel like that every time I get into VR, to be honest, because I always just feel like it's so different from traditional gaming because I don't, I don't own a, a VR headset myself. I only just play, I sponge off everyone else's, to be honest. You know, like whenever somebody else got one, I'd be like, oh, can I have a go? Can I have a go? I, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. And I love it. And every time I put it on, I'm like, I cannot believe, like, I'm living in the world that I remember seeing in like cartoons when I was a kid, yeah. you know, that this is like real now that you can do these kind of things. I, I think all this stuff, it does just kind of blow my mind, really, when you can consider the the level of immersion that you can get to now in these headsets. And and like you said, like the, the one-off experiences that you can't get anywhere else, that you just cannot get through traditional media or through traditional gaming, that you can only get in this format. I'm super excited. I'm right there with you, Jace. I... I'm definitely going to check that game out. I think you should check it out. I also think, though, that that um, the PlayStation platform, PS uh, PS5, is is particularly well positioned to offer a unique experience around VR. Right, and what I mean by that is is you know if you've not used um, the controllers that come with the PS5, you know you've you've not you don't really understand how sophisticated that platform is. I mean, you know me, Phil. I I, I was a diehard Xbox fan. And you kind of turned me on to the PlayStation, and 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 now the PS5 has just taken it to the next level. There's a kind of refinement to that ergonomic, exp- uh, and and to the the visceral feedback that you get. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the notion that that could be brought into VR to make it so much more real and physical and emotional, I think, is really exciting. And so they'll be able to say offer population one. But people will say, "Well, I'm 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 actually gonna I'm gonna play that on the PSVR too because on the Oculus or whatever it's called, the next thing, the um, the Meta Two, Meta Three, whatever it's gonna be, you know, I don't get that same uh, uh, ergonomic feedback, um, whatever the the sensory experience that you know. I don't know how to describe it, but you, I'm guessing you get the idea. So I think it's really well positioned. I also think that the tethered nature of a helmet." is irrelevant and if anyone gets hot under the collar about it which some youtubers have done i think they're just missing the point i don't think it really matters because a console unlike a pc seems to me generally sits in the middle of the room doesn't it generally it sits under the television and so you stand up in front of the television and you have a uh, maybe a mixed reality experience or or not a fully immersive experience in the helmet and you're tethered to a thing that's in the middle of the room or, or you know on, on the room on the wall in front of you rather than a PC, which often sits in an office or sits in the corner of a room. And so tethering to it with a USB-C cable can be a little bit unwieldy. So I'm super excited. I'm super excited. I've got one more title that I want to add. And that uh, is, I I wonder whether Cyberpunk 2077 
will go VR. Do you reckon they could really do it, Jace? I mean, the game can barely run as is. It only just got its next-gen patch, which apparently has sorted a lot of the bugs, but do you think that they'd be up for taking this world of Night City and putting it into a VR environment? I think there's a possibility. I'm not going to predict that it's going to happen because I'm not party to the the economics. You know, they really messed up, didn't they? They let a lot of people down. But they've really responded to the community, and I feel now the game is in a state, certainly on a PC... Uh, it's on. A, it's in a really good place. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I've not played the latest patch uh, that makes it ready for the for the PlayStation Five. I don't know if you guys have. I I haven't. But all the all the news I've seen about it has been really positive, actually. So it seems like as if they've really started to recapture everyone's kind of good favor again. And people are saying that it's running pretty much flawlessly. I mean, there's there's still the odd bugs like there is with any big open world, but but nothing to the extent that there was before. I tell you what it is, they've put in so much work, right? That this op- this is a sideways movement, isn't it? In that sort of horizontal integration model that so many uh, corporations and businesses look to in order to pay for the insane amount of investment that they have to put in and time to create these amazing things that we play. And so it, for me, it would be a no-brainer. If I was the CEO of that company, um, if I was the CEO of that company, they'd have gone bust years ago, by the way, but let, let's just go with that. Um, then... I'd say, look, we've, 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 create, we've created this immersive environment, this, this living world, as you say, and we need to get new revenue from that incredible work. And it's a, I'm, I'm guessing a relatively straightforward port. And I say that because someone other than the developers has already ported it and it works on the Oculus, the uh, Meta Quest 2, via, I think via SideQuest, or it might be some slightly dodgy website, but... Um, a load of a uh, load of people that I know in the VR community, uh, VR Oasis, good friend of mine, Mike, uh, who's on YouTube. He's 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 just done a video about it. And while it's by no means perfect, for example, you have to use um, a controller, a gamepad, rather than the, uh, the the Quest controllers with it, um, which means it's shooting some of the brilliant guns and stuff isn't great, and you can't grab the steering wheel and the cars that you drive. Uh, you have to just use the gamepad. I mean, the emotional reaction of every YouTuber that I've seen walking around that incredible environment says it all. Like, it's just amazing. And you remember when um, when Quest launched, there was, a, the, there was the first of several sort of Star Wars experiences. I don't know if you remember that. So they weren't fully formed games. They were just like experiences where you got to walk around and interact with R2-D2 and open up a lightsaber and defend some incoming... Um, you know, phase of fire rather than have a full on uh, saber, you know, lightsaber fight. But then th- a lot of those experiments have evolved into uh, fuller titles. And I, I just wonder if we if we would see something around that. I mean, here's the thing. The metaverse, the concept of the metaverse, although I suspect it won't be called that, it will, it will have its own organic name and it will be an amalgamation of, you know, 50 or 60 different entities bringing their own version of this thing around maybe and phil know more about this than i i will but more uh, an adopted language a, a kind of vr version of html right that's what i think it will be that's what we want it to be and that's probably why everyone had that knee-jerk response to zuckerberg when he tried to you know suggest that um the then Facebook were going to own it. Um, I just feel that if, if you want an interconnected environment <laughs> where you can go into an arcade or you can go to a gym or you can go on holiday or go to chill out, then what, what better than Night City? 
Yeah, makes makes perfect sense. I mean, this is the thing. We always get like video game locations are always super special to to us. And especially with like a bit of a bit of time that goes past. But any game that makes like an impact straight away in its environment on its launch and then continues to still resonate with people, there's something special there. And I mean, games that that do that really well, you know, thinking about like, uh, like you said, with Cyberpunk, that definitely did, Uh, even though technically it didn't run too well, the actual city itself is a place that people would like to go to. And it's the same with like, you know, any, any GTA city, or if I think about like Final Fantasy, there's loads of different locations in there that I'd love to visit. And so seeing a location like that in uh, like the metaverse, and be able to kind of exist in that as like kind of a kind of like a digital tourist in a way, but still just being able to just experience that world in a, in a brand new kind of immersive way. I think there's definitely something to that there. And that's something that I'll look forward to seeing kind of progress as the years go on, because from everything that you're saying and from what we're seeing in the past with, you know, the advancements of VR, it's probably not too far away that we're going to be actually getting into this stuff and, and really kind of taking it to a whole other level than what we are currently. The only thing I think that I didn't foresee coming, so I, so I was able, I think, and, and Phil will back me up here because some of your listeners might not realise what, what I do now is, is I'm, a, I'm a bit of a futurologist, so I get asked by companies to come and talk to them about what certain sectors are likely to do in the next sort of five or ten years. And, and I often talk about virtual reality, mixed reality, augmented reality, the metaverse, and so on and so forth. What I've noticed recently, as we're kind of getting, as you say, Davey, to a point where it's actually becoming a, a possibility, is people are getting a bit cold feet about it. It's quite interesting. I think, I think lockdown as well has changed people. I think what we want now is we want, uh, we want a connection. VR is really good at that. I think VR is really good at social stuff when it does it well. And again, people will maybe react to this, but like Rec Room, if you ignore the fact that it's full of squeaky little kids, is a really great model for, for what I'm talking about. VR chat, VR chat is also yeah. interesting, depending on who you are and what you want of an evening, uh, but problematic um, for various reasons. <laughs> but they're all really good ex- but they're really good experience, you know, experiments in, in, in this future scenario, Davey, that, that, that I think you quite rightly see just around the corner. But, I, but what I was meaning by the lockdown thing, though, is that I've also noticed that there's been a real move against technology. There's been a lot of uh, issues around uh, personal data and, and people are becoming a bit more aware of it. I think also parents. I mean, I'm a parent and we, do, we definitely have a bit of a digital addiction issue with our kids. I do think we do need... We do need some guidelines, some gatekeeping at some point because it's it's difficult even for me to manage my kids' screen time, and I'm sure it's it, it can be even more difficult if you like. Let's let's say you're a single parent and you're doing two jobs. I mean, it's going to be so hard, and you, and maybe you live in the middle of a city for for your kid to not spend most of their time on devices. On the one hand, VR, mixed reality, augmented reality does offer actually in certain respects, an opportunity to get people more social, to get them out, to get them interacting in museums and parks and all that sort of stuff. But it, but it can also be seen um, negatively because we're, we're all a little bit sensitive at the moment to the sort of massive changes that have happened. So I have noticed, whereas I used to talk about it as a kind of ethereal concept, like it's coming, we're not quite sure when, let's say five years ago, 
now people really see see it's happening and they and they are quite fearful of it that's what i found at the events that i do i found a certain trepidation that maybe wasn't there it is interesting isn't it and and especially like you said you know we've all been kind of cooped up for the last two years with, with covid and so we're all kind of in this like you said this kind of like pullback at the moment where we just want to do everything you know we want to do everything together we want to see everyone we want to everything that we've kind of collectively missed out on doing for two years we're trying to just cram like i know for myself i got so much more planned this year than i normally would do and it's in direct response to covid because i didn't do anything for two years so it's like right well this year i'm doing it all i'm doing everything whereas before i'd probably be just quite happy just doing the odd thing you know a couple times a year do something big and the rest of the time just sit there and just play games all the time whereas now i'm like right any spare chance i get i'm like right to my wife Get, let's get, get down the coast. Let's go. Let's just go out somewhere. Let's yeah, just go that's what I was something. trying to say. You, yeah, let's do anything, you know, and yeah, anything you, to you, kind of you, get out. You described it better than I was than I did. That's what I meant. There's a return to a kind of slightly simpler set of values, which I think has slowed our progression towards <laughs> Ready Player One. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we, we're all feeling a need for humanity, aren't we? Maybe that we weren't perhaps thinking about two years ago. But uh, anyway. It's a perfect time because obviously the Stream Deck is coming out very soon. I don't know if you've got one of those on pre-order, but I know I have. Um, so we can take our gaming with us when we go out and uh, try and experience these things in real life. We can still take our mini PC with us. I'm so grateful for you ma- making that point. Of course, I've got the 512 uh, gig version uh, on order, Phil. I didn't get in quick enough, though, so I think mine's coming. God, like July. I'm going to have to stare at I'm guessing you were right in there, were you, day one? I was day one, but I, I'm still waiting for my email. I'm checking it every day. Mate. It still hasn't come through. So I might be I might be in Q2. I don't know. So exciting. The only thing I was disappointed about was that there wasn't more flexibility from some of the big players like Epic and stuff that, you know, with their um their cheat, whatever their cheat code stuff, you know, so that I, I won't be able to play. You know, some of the titles I like. I'm a big fan of um, Battle Royale titles. I just love that as a format. Several, several games that I would like to play on that I'm not going to be able to play. But yeah, but what I love is, for me, it's, it's almost like free in that I've, I've invested over the last 10 years or whatever in my Steam library and I now get to really get value from it. And I'll probably end up playing games that I haven't played for three years. because You know what I mean? Because I can, I'm on the train, I've got access to them. And mate, what a lovely bit of hardware that is as well, don't you think? I'm exactly the same because like I... I buy a lot of my games physical uh, when it comes to PlayStation, and I've got a massive back catalogue, which I'll never get through. Now I'm thinking about my Steam back catalogue. It scares me. It gives me nightmares because I have so <laughs> many games, as you said, over years of investing um, into humble bundles um, and, and getting gifts off, you know, friends and family. Oh, Phil, I'd love to play this game on Steam. Oh, I'm sure he will. Will I, hell? I've got thousands of games in my Steam library, but now with the Stream Deck, I'm going to actually dig into some of those games and I cannot wait, yeah. What What's the first game that you're going to play on it? Well, I am wearing a Death Stranding t-shirt. Okay, that says, that's, well, there you go, then there's the answer. It's the, it's the Death Stranding t-shirt, yes. Uh, I wear this quite a lot for the show because I'm a massive fan of Death Stranding, so that'll probably be the game I sort of try it out first uh, on, on the Stream Deck, even though I've completed it multiple times over PlayStation. Have you ever played um, Firewatch? I haven't, but I really do. It's in my Steam stream library. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, yeah. That that's the one I'm going to play. So that's a it's really the walking sim. I, I, uh, yeah, I first played it on PS4, and um, I love the 
I just loved the kind of, it was like a, a drama that I was part of. And I, I, I love the mystery of it, slightly haunting nature of this beautiful, beautiful game. Um, but being a dad and having the sorts of job that I do where I work for different people every week, so I move up and down the country, I don't have a, a lot of time to sit at my PC or sit at my PS5. Uh, I, I don't actually own a PS5 at the moment, actually. I have to say that because that would be misleading. Um, I borrow one off a friend uh, when I can bend his arm. That's a very nice friend. He's a very nice friend. Oh, I tell you what, he, he's actually one of the leading uh, kind of, what would you call him? He makes like bespoke gaming PCs. He's called Battle Rigs. You should check him out on Instagram. He makes machines that look, they're like works of art. And um, and t just so that you know how good the uh, PlayStation is, despite the fact that he has like, he'll have, a, he'll have several machines in his office at one time in his workshop, and they'll be worth seven grand each. And they'll have like 30, 90 graphics cards in it that you can't get for love nor money and but he, day one ps5 is is you know he, he loves his he loves his ps5 first thing he did when he when he when he got some new memories it, you know he did the trick where you can open it up and put a brand new block of memory in there and all the rest of whatever anyway what was i saying that for yeah i don't get time to sit down and play that sort of game and so when i get the Steam deck i'm going to be able to play through it on all the various journeys because i i often go on public transport because I just think it's it's good time. Whereas if you sat in a car for hours, you you know you 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 certainly shouldn't be on your Steam Deck when you're on the M5. That's that's a fact. Not yet, not yet. Elon Musk's vision hasn't quite uh, captured the world yet, has That'd it? Be great. Not yet. I can't wait though. I can't <laughs> wait. Driverless cars. That's that's what I can't wait for. Oh, I could catch up on so many games that way. Dear God. Defo man. So Jace, as we got to wrap the show up now, I got some quick fire questions for you, and these questions. They're hard-hitting. Wow, so give me okay. your first answer that comes to your mind, okay? Okay, so it's like Freudian association, is that right? It's, it's basically like um, a Blade Runner test, yeah. So I'm basically wow. going to be able to tell if Mr. you're a Deckard. human. It is, right, it's I'm, very I'm much I'm going to keep my eyes like that. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Traditional gaming or VR? VR. Greg's or a Tesco meal deal? Tesco meal deal. Correct choice. Sweet or savoury? Ooh, savoury. I'll allow it. Nathan Drake or Lara Croft? Lara Croft, come on. Those hot pants. <laughs> Although Nathan Drake in hot pants. Wait a second. I know. Yeah, that's, what, that's where my mind was going. I was thinking, oh, God, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Crash or Spyro? Oh, Crash, man. Every time. Yeah. yeah, he's the boy. He's the boy. Skateboard or roller skates? Skateboard. Skateboard, skateboard, skateboard. And finally, Ratchet and Clank or Jack and Daxter? Ratchet and Clank. Did I pass? Am I you passed a psychopath? The quiz. Is that what you've discovered? You... All right. No, cool. no. You're, you're, you're a perfectly functioning member of society if you'd if you'd voted oh, against God. the tesco meal deal there would have been questions raised yeah. it would have gone off in a totally different way from there so <laughs> it would have you, gone down you a, saved different, a different route oh, <laughs> we would have we would have like thanks for doing that jace i feel like uh, we know you a little bit better now you know with your your, your, your choices there within this quick fire round um but, but where can people find you um if, if they want to track you down on the internet obviously we've mentioned about your instagram um you, you're on twitch uh, every sunday night i believe with trista at the moment 
Yeah, Trista Bites, the amazing Trista Bites. Um, we do a show called 80s Electro Breakdance Party. Uh, that's that's how you find it, or my name, uh, Jason Bradbury Official on Twitch. It's just a bit of fun. It's like getting your mate. It's like that time I spent playing Gran Turismo on the floor in my flat um, in London. Uh, it, it's a bunch of idiots who love the 80s and the 90s. That's all we talk about, be it, you know, music, TV shows, games, all, all kinds of gadgets and stuff. Uh, movies it's just so much fun and then we have a quiz for the last half an hour it's only an hour long absolutely brilliant and then anything else uh, my website jasonbradbury.com where um during lockdown i actually created an online course uh, about public speaking and and uh, you know how to how to feel more confident and and talk more fluently um in your sort of work life or private life it's called talk for pleasure and profit but look to say the part party political broadcast uh, if you want to say hello, just say hello on Insta, Jason Bradbury. Easy to find. Perfect. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Jason. It's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure's all mine, dudes. I'll see you in the uh, whatever the metaverse is going to be called. I'll see you in the metaverse. <laughs> see you in Night see City. See you in the metaverse. See you in Night City. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, guys, we're at the end of the show. This is our final topic, and we're going to be discussing the PlayStation State of Play. Uh, this happened on Wednesday 9th, ran for approximately 20 minutes, and there was a number of games shown. I know we had some predictions. So, Spence, let's go over those first. What was yours for the show? Right, yes, mate. Of course, you're the predictions. Mine, obviously, we did the usual format we follow, which is safe, possible, and crazy. My safe was Forspoken. My possible was Persona 4 Arena Ultimax. And my crazy was something we've talked about very often, the rumoured Project Spartacus. And Davey? So my one, they said it was going to be a Japanese-centric event. So I thought, hmm, let's, let's kind of lean on this a little bit. My safe was Ghostwire Tokyo. My possible was Stray. I know that you're a big fan of that game, Phil. And my crazy was Team Asobi's new title the developers of Astrobot. I really thought we might see a new title from them. What about yourself, Phil? For me, I went big because this show was billed as having the big one, whatever that was meant to be. So I tried to play it safe for my first choice with Street Fighter VI. We've been hearing a lot about the game and I thought this is now time for Sony to start bringing us a little bit more information on that series. My possible was the big one, God of War Ragnarok. We're gonna. I wanted to see some sort of footage some sort of in-game, something special. Am I crazy? Was what we talked about earlier. I thought that possibly, because of the rumours surrounding the new Infamous game, we would see something related to Infamous. So guys, how did we all do? Well, you asked me first, so I have one shot to give out. And that was because they showed Forspoken. And I'm the same, I'm the same. Ghostwire Tokyo came in for me, and I was kind of gutted that I didn't get the other two, but at least I got one. So... Not too bad. Not too bad of a showing. Yourself, though, Phil. A big fat zero, unfortunately. And I know this This show would have been epic if any of those had come in. But yeah, they, they avoided all my predictions. I swear PlayStation are following me now on Twitter. They, they know what I'm predicting. They're not on my side, are they? They're just changing it last minute just to screw you over. They couldn't give me and Spence, too, because then we'd just be too powerful. We've only ever had one person and that was yourself spence actually get a two points in one of these predictions so we don't have a good track record at the best of times so for one of us to get well for each of us to get one each that's not bad going that's not bad at all in terms of the podcast this is a success 
So boys, I think we'll leave it to the next show for you to nominate, purely because this one, we're going to keep it very dry. Um, I'm going to come back to you now and give me an overall rating for the show. Um, let's, let's go out a 10 for the show. Spence, you're up first. I'm going to give it a flat five out of 10, because let's be honest, they didn't really show anything. The best thing they showed wasn't even a game, it was DLC. And the game I predicted to show didn't even need to be shown because we've seen enough of it. I know I'm going to buy it. I'd rather not have seen what they showed. Just a bog standard state of play, really. Nothing special about it. That's it. Yeah, I feel you. Davey, is there any improvement on a five? I'm going to go in for a solid six. And the reason why I'm going for a six is because of one game. Returnal. Hell yeah. I actually popped off when this came on screen. We all watched it together, and I remember just going mental for this because I just did not see it coming. And sure, as you said, Spence, it is just DLC, and of course we'll unpack that, uh, I'm sure, in, in the next bit of this, uh, next bit of this kind of review of this state of play. But for me, that's, that's what saved it. That and the fact that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Cowabunga Collection, hell yeah, those are two great announcements from this, and they're things that I just didn't expect to see. Ghostwire and uh, Forspoken, like you said, Spence, both expected. You know, we've seen enough of those games now for it not really to to get any extra excitement out of me. I've seen enough from those. I don't. I don't really want to see any more. I kind of want it to go away. But for those two, those two things alone was enough to push it up to a six for me. Without those, it probably would have been down towards the threes. So it, it, those two really did carry it for me. What about yourself, Phil? For me, I feel like I've been burnt with this show purely because I had such high expectations for my predictions. None of them came true, and they blue-balled me with the opener. What the F? Honestly, I swear that's Regina. It is pretty damning, really, isn't it? You know, it it started off with, you know, Exoprimal. And when that was first shown, you see a red-haired woman, you see dinosaurs, the first thought that went through my head, as did yours, obviously, Dino Crisis is back, baby. And then I remember as it went on, I thought, God, please don't let this be Dino Crisis. Please don't let this be Dino Crisis. It was like this whole roller coaster of emotion from, yes, Dino Crisis to, oh, God, please don't be Dino Crisis, to then it be Exoprimal. So ultimately, we got the best result here in that it isn't Dino Crisis because, good God, that would be an insult to bring it back like that. But at the same time, like you said, they're grabbing our balls. They're giving it just enough of a little tickle for you to be like, ooh, that's, that's quite nice. Or in my case, I, I wouldn't like this. I'm not about my balls being touched. But you guys seem to really enjoy this, right? So they're giving it a little fondle, maybe a little, maybe a little bit of the shaft work as well. Just enough to kind of keep you still going a little bit, but not enough for you to go anywhere with it. And, and, and that's my review of Exoprimal which, Jesus Christ, who the fuck wants that? Putting the sexual innuendo aside, let's move things on to a reoccurring section that we've had a few times on the podcast before. I'd like you to give me your shag, marry, and kill for this state of play. Spencer, we're going to you first. My shag for this state of play is Gigabash. Ooh. Honestly, I'm saying that. I can't even remember the game. But... Let's be honest, my missus doesn't give me a shag. I hope one day she'll give me a gigabash. (laughs) 
and that is it. So you've chosen the game for a cheap joke. Brilliant. <laughs> it's the same joke I made when they announced the game. Excellent. Brilliant. I can't. I can't. Fair play, that. sir. So no rationale. Just just that is your shag. Perfect. Moving on, Davy. My shag for this is going to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's going to be my shag. I thought the game looked amazing, actually, and for the for the amount of games that are in that collection, I'm blown away by it. I I really cannot wait to get into this and play some of the kind of classic fighting games that are in this, alongside you know Turtles in Time and and all the classic 2D side scrolling beat em ups. I'm all for this. Uh, it was a big shock for me. I was really blown away by it. And I can't wait to experience that later in the year when it comes out. Especially playing it through with you guys, where, you know, I can be raf because I've got a bit of taste. And you guys can play your other bitch, bitch-ass turtles that you like to play as. you got to think as well, if they give it trophies. Oh, it's definitely got trophies, mate. Oh, it's definitely got trophies. you just got to hope that it's got a good play. And that it's not a platinum where we got to beat Turtles in time without losing our life or anything, you know? That would be just insane. So we'll have to wait and see for that one, because that would be nuts. That'd be the hardest platinum I've ever seen in my life, if that's the case. Phil, I feel like as if I've kind of done you dirty taking that one. I, I do apologize, but you don't have any shots to give out next episode, so i got no worries in fucking you over, mate. What did you have for your shag? My shag is Exoprimal. Exoprimal came out of left field. It came out of nowhere. It hit me with so many questions throughout the whole trailer, and I'm still confused about it. What is that game even meant to be? Well, I, I think that's the biggest question of everything, isn't it? You know, it's, it looks like Anthem, but with dinosaurs that fall from impossibly high heights and somehow survive. They're, they're falling from like a skyscraper height, like a velociraptor, and they're cool with it. Bro, I'll tell you exactly how. The first, like, maybe 100 die, and then the next 1,000 land on them, and it softens the blow. That's all well and good, but as soon as you start getting into a giant dinosaur, right, you know, like a long neck, right, a, a, a bronchosaurus, whatever they're called, they got some weight. Bronchiosaurus. Bronchiosaurus. Oh, sorry, I didn't... Or, the or Diplodocus. The dinosaur experts in. The dinosaur experts in. Lee. Just call me Ross Geller. <laughs> I know my dinosaurs. <laughs> As soon as you've got that kind of weight falling from that kind of height, that's going to really mess it up. You, you think a whale dies just by being on land. Just by being on land, it dies under its own weight. So a dinosaur falling from that kind of height, this game isn't realistic, boys. It's, it's certainly nothing to... Uh, th the physics are all over the place for this one. I've got a quick question about it before we... Uh delve too much into obscurity with this uh, explanation of this game um do you think this game started off life as dino crisis at all because there is so many nods throughout it to dino crisis obviously there's dinosaurs in it there's guns there's shooting it's quite arcade style which was dino crisis 2 and then of course you have some character who looks very similar to regina so do you think there was ever in the process this was dino crisis and it maybe moved too far away from the actual um expectations of probably the fans and now they've just renamed it to something else do you think this is maybe a spiritual successor to dino crisis guys i think that's a very solid show i think it very much could be maybe it was planned as dino crisis they made the assets and then thought this isn't working let's not put the assets to waste no i don't reckon that's the case i reckon all that happened was someone in capcom came up with this idea and they're like yo we don't really have a live service game at the moment we got monster hunter i guess but it's not really live service 
Anthem was a thing. I reckon we could do Anthem, but what's better than fighting, you know, bug enemies? Dinosaurs! And they thought, yeah, this is cool. Let's just put dinosaurs in and this Anthem, but with dinosaurs. And someone was like, oh, did you know that years ago we made a dinosaur game? And they were like, what? No way. What was it called? Dino Crisis. Like, I bet. Why don't we just make one of the characters look like Regina? How cool would that be? They're like, yeah, people will love that. And that was it. That, that's all it was. And they were just like, yeah, that'd be a cool little nod for fans. It won't really confuse them or make them think this is part of the, maybe they're bringing Dino Crisis back or maybe there's hope for this franchise which hasn't seen the light of day in decades at this point. It was, it was a stupid, a stupid idea putting a Regina lookalike in there because all it's done is it's given fans false hope for a game series that isn't coming back. As much as I want it to, it just ain't. And I think this is a death sentence for that franchise. It has definitely got us talking about uh, Dino Crisis, though, hasn't it? If it if it's done nothing else, and that is a very uh, beloved Capcom title, which is something that we should be delving back into in the near future for our spoiler cast from the past. We haven't forgotten about it, but hey, what can we say? It's Elden Ring and Horizon season, guys. I want to ask you uh, about this one, Phil. So... You've put it on your shag list. Are you actually thinking of checking this one out then when it comes out? I think this game is straight to PlayStation Plus. And if it is, I'm jumping in it for a night. It looks fun. It does look fun. You're blasting dinosaurs endlessly with your mates. Why not? Let's give it a go. If it doesn't come out and it's like 30 quid or something like that, then that that's a no for me. But if it comes out and, and I've somehow got it with some subscription method that maybe I've got, possibly with the new... Um, uh, PlayStation Spartacus project. Maybe if I'm subscribing at the top tier, I get this as part of it. Then possibly I would play it if I've got access to it. But hell, I ain't paying thirty quid for this game. How about yourself? Yeah, I, I think if they if they put a demo out, like a demo or like an open beta, and we could try it, I think then maybe that might be the smartest way because then if it's fun and we enjoy it, then hell, why not? But for Anthem, we only got in on the mix on that when it was like. £2.50 for us to buy. So if it comes out as a full price game and I haven't had a chance to play it beforehand, I can't see myself getting it. But as you said, if it's included as part of PlayStation Plus, especially if it comes out at a great time where it's not a lot of competition around it, it's got a chance to succeed there, especially with, with me, where I'm going in super skeptical and I don't really want this. What about yourself, Spence? Are you joining us to uh, kill some dinosaurs? I 100% will be if, like you boys are saying, it comes to PS Plus, because there is no way I'm paying a penny for this game, at least until I've seen some gameplay or gotten to try it myself. If it's a PS Plus title, it's day one. Like Davey said, if there's nothing else at the same time, if there's any, literally, if there's anything else at the same time, it's in the bin. If there's so much as a two-hour platinum, that's a game I don't even want to play like a man eater or something at the same time if it's an easy platinum i'll play that instead however if this game comes out it looks fun i can play with my mates and it's an easy platinum oh boy it won't be it definitely won't be but if it is i'd be keen it looks like a grind doesn't it definitely it looks like one of those games where it's like you, you get on it and you think oh this is going to be fun you know we'll shoot some dinosaurs for a minute and it's like kill fifty thousand dinosaurs and you think oh my god and you look at like power picks who bless his heart has played this for like 150 hours and he's like difficulty rating two out of ten time to platinum 
89 hours and you think, oh, God. And there's just nothing in the world that would get you through that apart from just literally sheer determination and a little bit of insanity at the same time. And that always helps make these trophies go by that little bit easier. Moving things on, Spencer, I'm going to come to you again first. You're first up every single time, boy, so get ready for these. We're looking for your marry in this list. What are you picking? Choose me. So my marry, and I'm sure it's no surprise to anyone because it's what I predicted. It's Forspoken. Honestly, they didn't even have to show it to me because I know it's a day one for me. I've got, well, I traded in my one copy of Alden Ring because I had two copies. And I've got a £55 gift card. And the day Forspoken comes out, I know it's being used on that. Going straight to game. Unless I'm pre-ordering it and then I buy something else, who knows. I was debating buying the Uncharted 4 remake, but I didn't. Or remaster. So Forspoken, easily my marry, because I know that game. That game looks so sick. I do really wish they'd stop showing it to me so I can just speculate and have it in my mind and then them tell me everything I thought was wrong when the game comes out and I'll be like, whoa, no way. But I'm going to know the whole game soon. Stop. Calm down. I'm already marrying it. Keep it to yourself. I'll meet her when I meet her. That's a great choice, to be honest, in your marry. I mean, it's a game that you and me are both really excited for. And do you know what I find weird? I find that Twitter's really strange on this one. Twitter seems to be going down the kind of like that this game's woke for some reason. I, I don't know why they're doing that, just because it's a woman protagonist who's, who's black. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't really get why they're getting these woke vibes from it. For me, it just looks like a really impressive, open-world, fun game. Kind of like I was saying about Infamous, you know, a game where you've got loads of powers and you're just doing stuff. And that's what this game just reminds me of. I, I, I'm right there with you. I cannot wait to get into this game when it comes out. And, and with the delay, I was so glad for that delay because it means that we can really spend some time, you know, in Elden Ring and, and in Ghostwire Tokyo, which is only around the corner now. And we got a little bit of breathing room before that comes out. The only danger that we have is that potentially we could be in God of War territory, in which case then, you know, it's going to get absolutely, you know, ignored. But who knows? We don't even know a release date for that yet. Okay, Davey, we're on to your marries. So in this list, is it no surprise who you're picking? Yeah, it's an obvious one, this one, guys. And I, I tell you what, Spence, you've been very diplomatic there, giving me Returnal. Uh, I do see that, and I, I appreciate that. So yes, Returnal Ascension is my marry. I cannot wait to spend the rest of my life climbing that endless tower because I tell you what, I cannot wait to see more of the story that's going to be shown in that. And sure, I won't make sense of it. I'm not smart enough to understand it, but I'll appreciate it nonetheless. And I'll really enjoy going through this in co-op with yourself, Phil. Be able to take you up, put you under my wing, and we'll just go and experience this game because, as I, I mean, I, Christ, I go on about it nearly as much as you go on about Death Stranding. I adored this game last year. I really did. My favorite game of last year. So an extra chance to go into this and to experience it with new weapons and see new story modes and see new enemies. I'm all for that. I'm all for that challenge of climbing that tower. But I'm also there to be able to help you through the game, Phil. And I can't wait to do that with you. I think it's going to be so much fun to be able to play it in a co-op environment. Are you excited to dive into this game now, Phil? 
Yeah, definitely. I think this is what I've needed, that little push uh, to get back into it. Because I did buy Returnal on launch and unfortunately I fell out of favour with it sort of straight away. Um, there was other things sort of on my plate at the time. Um, so this is, this is perfect. This is perfect timing for me, really. Um, and I'm really excited to go back in, uh, especially with yourself. Obviously, we've had some legendary co-op games that we've played together uh, with Portal. Um, the game that cannot be mentioned, Five. Uh, maybe this is our next one that I'll reminisce about uh, in a couple of shows' time. And Spence, are you, are you excited by this? Are you, are you excited to like kind of take on the towers and really push yourself and see how far you can get through it? I'm definitely excited for the Tower of Sisyphus. I'd like to see kind of what it adds to the game and just what it entails and how difficult it's truly going to be because that is a difficult game anyway, as is. And it's also kind of making me want to go back to the base game as well because I still don't have that platinum. I've beaten the game, I beat it the week it came out, but I never finished that grind, because that grind was extensive. That's a long grind, and this DLC might be what pushes me to go back and finally do it. No, that'd be really interesting to see. I mean, I'd, I don't wish that grind on anyone, but it did feel really satisfying finding that final glyph, even though I ran that one level probably about 150 times which is a madness but i've got insane movement tech phil so at least now i can carry you around the entire map you'll be warping everywhere it's crazy man we'll just be running it's gonna be class what about yourself phil what is on your marry list i'm picking tech to yomi purely because this game was probably the most interesting game on the list this is the one that i've thought about the most seriously thinking i'm gonna play it i i love the art style and it's very similar to Sifu in what I'm seeing. And that's a game I was very hype about, but it didn't work out with Horizon and what I was playing at the time. That's a game I definitely need to go back to as well. But Tekta Yomi, it's definitely piqued my interest enough to think, well, let's do a bit more research on this. Let's see where it progresses. And possibly this is the game I'll be picking up. So yeah, I'm putting the wedding ring on Tekta Yomi, guys. How did you feel about it? Yeah, I got, I got to say, when, when I saw it originally, I remember popping off because I thought it was Sifu DLC. And then the more we kind of saw of kind of these more kind of like um, open, uh, far-reaching kind of landscapes as opposed to Sifu's more close camera, I then realized it was something else. Uh, this game has really piqued my interest as well. I'm, I'm just hoping that we learn a little bit more about how this game kind of works. Because if it's anything like Sifu, I'm going to adore it. I'm just hoping that it kind of is. And it's not some other kind of weird combat system. Because Sifu would be my biggest surprise of the year. I was hyped for it anyway. But for it to really just blow my expectations wide apart. And for me to give it like a 9 out of 10. I want another experience like that. And, and this could be the one to do it for me. What about yourself, Spence? Likewise, mate, similar to you, I thought Trek to Yomi was just Sifu DLC and I was puffing off as well because Sifu, it's literally, I'd be telling the exact same story you just told. Sifu blew me away, complete surprise. Trek to Yomi looks extremely similar yet different. It's all in the kind of, in Sifu, you get those kind of 2D uh, like movie kind of camera angles. But this entire game is that. And those are some of the coolest moments in Sifu. So if they could just kind of have an entire game about that soul mechanic or mechanic feature in Sifu. That's just sick. And I'd imagine you're, you're playing as a samurai. You're going to have that sword the whole time. 
That's cool, man. Samurai's a sick. I don't know why I didn't pick it as my starting class in Elden Ring. I made a mistake. I'm hyped for that game. I am truly hyped. Sifu has changed my opinion. One to keep an eye on for sure. Okay, guys, let's round things up. What are you killing on that list? Spence, you're up first, buddy. I'll tell you what. I think for my kill, I'm going to go with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure All-Star Battle R. And although that game looks cool, it does look like a cool fighting game. It's got an awesome art style, as JoJo's the anime does. There are just so many anime fighters, and I'm not a massive fan of the JoJo franchise. If I were to play one, it would be Kill la Kill If, or it would be My Hero, or Naruto Shippuden, or any other anime game that has this. Or I would just say fuck it and play them all and play Jump Force. I don't need... JoJo's in Jump Force, I'm pretty sure. I don't need a JoJo's game. Especially when it's literally the exact same game as the others, but they've just changed the character models and changed the name. And also, what really pisses me off is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure All-Star Battle R. What is that R doing there? What does it mean? Why would they just slap R on the end? It's like it's like Kingdom Hearts titles all over again, isn't it? You know, we're, we're getting back to this moment where Japanese developers just put random letters or random words on things, like as if it makes any sense whatsoever. I could only imagine it stands for Remix, possibly, if these are older titles that they're now bringing back. I don't know. I don't think it is. But then also Persona 5R exists, and that's Royal. There's Naruto games that do the same thing. There's My Hero games that do the same thing. There's Persona 4 Arena Ultimax, which was just P4AU. But obviously that stood for something. Whereas I'm looking at the official title of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure right now, and it's just a letter R. <laughs> I'm like, what? Give me a word at least. <laughs> Moving on, Davey, you're up next. What's your kill on that list? That list is getting pretty slim now. There's, you could probably kill the rest of that list. Yeah, I, I could quite happily kill the rest of the list and not feel a thing. I could quite happily commit list genocide right there and i wouldn't feel any sadness whatsoever in fact they'd be quite deserving i'd be putting them out of their misery but i can only pick one as per the rules of shag marry kill and i'm saving the one that i would kill without a shadow of a doubt for you phil because there's there's one on there that sticks out like a sore thumb that i think you're going to have a personal issue with so i'm going for a different one i'm going for the diofield chronicle now, the reason why I'm killing this one off is because this is a game that just does not speak to me on any level. I know that for people that are fans of Fire Emblem, there's something here for you. I'm not a fan of that. I'm really not a fan of, like, deep, strategic, real-time strategy games. I I'm not interested. And when it's got a kind of anime style over the top of it, where you've always got a trailer with a load of music and people saying random bollocks as that trailer goes on, it's two red flags for me. And two red flags, I'm out of there. So I'm not even giving it the time of day. For those that like that, cool, I'm really happy for you. Not my cup of tea, so I'm killing it off. I don't even remember this game. Uh, that's how much of an impact it, it left on me. I kind of think they should have left the show at Returnal, kind of go out on a high, rather than just have two games that pretty much just trailed into insignificance for me. Yeah, I, I second that one 100%. But, you know, there's some people out there that would go wild for this. And it, it may just be that we're not that target market. And and so you've got to always kind of keep that in mind as well at the same time with these shows. But, yeah, definitely 1-1 one, one for me. Any thoughts on this one, Spence? 
I mean, yeah, when I saw it, I thought maybe it was going to be like a new Bravely Default or something like that, but that's a Nintendo IP, so I don't know why it would have been. It just looked similar. It's very much just a Fire Emblem Bravely game. I can't, I can't be fucked, man. I still, I bought a PS4 to play Persona 5, and I still haven't finished it. I have a PS5 now. I'm on the next generation. And I still haven't finished the game I bought last gen's console for. And I enjoyed that game as well. And I just never finished it. I haven't played a JRPG since FF7 Remake. And I don't think I will until FF7 Remake 2. Oh, actually, that's not true. Since Dragon Quest XI was the last one I played. Still haven't finished that either. I JRPGs are too long. And this one didn't speak to me in any way whatsoever. So why would I commit a hundred hours of my life to fire like B Tech Fire Emblem? Why would I do that? I think it's something about that. You know, like our podcast, we got two main areas that we're kind of like blackout on, and that's like hardcore sim races and JRPGs. They're the two areas really that we we can't really say an awful lot on because they're just they they're not for us. And and that's the way it is. You're gonna have that with any group of people, I suppose. But with us, I suppose the, the one thing that we do have one saving grace on is that we like fighting games, where a, a lot of people, that that is their kind of like blackout where they, where they don't have anything to say. So it's just one of those things. And I'm sorry for those people that are real big fans of those, but you'll have to write in and let us know what they're like because we cannot put any experience to the test on that one. So Phil, finish us off there, mate. What was your kill? Well, alongside liking fighting games, we all like FPSs. And my kill, can we really call this an FPS? It just looks absolute trash. It's Gundam Evolutions. There's not much to say. I'm just shaking my head for the audio listeners. It's, it looks like a game from the 90s, but it's Overwatch with Gundams. It looks absolutely shocking. I'm sorry. I like Gundams. And it looked shot. There was there was no redeeming features, and the whole presentation over the top was this like nineties dance music, which just didn't suit it. It was just terrible. I, I've got nothing positive to say about it, lads. How about yourselves? I I just really feel for you because I know what it's like. You know, being a Dragon Ball fan myself, we get good games, but live action Dragon Ball will haunt me until the day I die. This just reminded me of that in terms of just having an IP, but just bundling it in such a bad way where, as you said, it looks like us, looks like it plays like us. And I bet you if you bought it, it would somehow hack your account, and steal all your money because it just looks like total trash. It's unbelievable that a game like that could be coming out now in 2022 i wouldn't have believed this would be a playstation 3 game in fact i remember playing some kind of gundam or armored force game back on playstation 3 and it looked markedly better than this it honestly looks like someone made this in roblox and put it out it looks terrible it looks god awful i'm pretty sure that was the gundam game i got on launch for ps3 that you played and yes you are right that looked better than this my God. Spencer, have you got anything nice to say about this game? Or should we just end the show? 
this game looks like cheeks. It's literally Overwatch from X. The only way they could possibly save this game for me, because it is a free-to-play game, it wouldn't be hard to just jump in, would be if they had some anime tie-ins, so maybe some Evangelion, Gurren Lagann, Code Geass, some mechs that people actually liked. Then, yeah. But if it's literally just Overwatch, you design your mech, and instead of having all these cool characters in Overwatch, they're just like, oh, this one's red. He's got missiles. This one's blue. He's got a taser gun. This one's a bit fast. He's a bit smaller, but he's got less HP. What's his name? Um, XO2. Sick. Yeah. You are right, because some of the Gundams, they're, they're such a weird pick. They're not even the Gundams from Endless Waltz, which everyone surely wants to be. Surely. It makes no sense. I don't know Gundams. <laughs> I don't know Gundams. I don't know Gundams at all. I recognize the one who had like, uh, he was gray and he had like yellow on him, like a little spiky head thing. I recognize him. I don't know my Gundams. My Gundam knowledge isn't there to be able to judge the inclusion of these. But all I know is that they all looked like ass. Well, on that depressing note, I think that ends this episode of In PS We Trust. It's been an absolute pleasure recording this episode. Doing it sober is a little bit weird, so I'll be quite looking forward to getting back on the source in two weeks' time. Remember, if you want to take part in the show and tell us why the Gundam game is the best thing you've ever seen in your life, or that we're totally wrong about JRPGs and you want to send your recommendations for ones we should play, feel free to write into the email psvtrust at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at mpsvtrust or any of our individual Twitter accounts, which will be in the description below. We're active on Reddit. Uh, the URL will be in the description. Uh, you're welcome to join us at any point. We have some live chat going on. And of course, I'll be posting up a topic based around tonight's show. And don't forget, Phil is on TikTok. So if you are a TikToker, I don't know if that's a thing. I don't know what they're called. I'm, I don't use TikTok. Find us on there. Phil loves a bit of TikTok. He's always sharing stuff on there. And, uh, and we're getting some good views. So we appreciate everyone that is going over there and checking us out on the TikToks. Final thing before we sign this episode off. If you want to support the show, the best way of doing it is leaving a review on your podcast service of choice. We are always pimping out the Spotify because that is our one that, that most of you listen to us on. So if you have listened to this point in the show, thank you ever so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Please consider leaving a quick review. It takes five seconds on Spotify. Just click the little stars icon. Put it as whatever you want to. Obviously, five stars would be great. But anything helps the show. We really, really do appreciate it. And thank you to everyone who's already done that for us so far. But that has been it for episode 38 of In PS We Trust, a PlayStation podcast. I've been Davey. I've been Phil. And I've been Spencer. Take care, guys. Peace. In PS We Trust is hosted by Davey, Phil, and Spencer. You can write into the show via our email, pswetrust at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at In PS We Trust. To find each of us online, follow our Twitters at SSJDavy, at PhilipHoy, at SpenPi underscore. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. See ya.